theyeshiva.net. So welcome everybody to our special class this evening. And before I begin, I just want to give a special thanks to the team of Project Lakute Sichas, the power team of Project Lakute Sichas, for bringing us together tonight and for all of their other amazing initiatives to be able to inspire so many of our brothers and sisters in learning Lakute Sichas. I want to especially thank my dear friends, Rabbi Shlemi Greenwald, and Rabbi Shmuley Nachlas, Rabbi Yisrael Wilhelm, Rabbi Moshe Lagurari, who are behind the Project Lakote Sichas. May you go from strength to strength. And thank you for bringing us all together tonight and for so many other classes in the past. And Be'ezer Hashem in the future. I also want to invite everybody to our ongoing classes. Monday and Thursday morning, 7.30 a.m. We have a uh, ongoing class in Chesidus. We now started Derech Mitzvah Secha, Mitzvah Tiglachas Mitzvah, the Mitzvah of Shaving the Mitzvah, one of the fundamental Mitzvahs in Derech Mitzvah Secha by the Tzemach Tzedek. We're going to continue tomorrow, Thursday morning, 7.30. Everybody is invited, as well to our Tuesday Parsha Shir, Tuesday 12.45. And all of these are live streamed on the website, theyeshiva.net, T-H-E-Y-E-S-H-I-V-A.net. Everybody is invited. So please open your source sheets because uh, this is going to be a text-based class and quite an intense one. So if you go to theyeshiva.net, you'll see the first class, Hadron by the Lubavitcher Rebbe on Meseches Kinnim, The Secret of Jewish History. There is a source sheet below the video. You can download the source sheet onto your computer or on the right side of the video, you could just bring up the source sheet onto your computer. You can also get the source sheets every week on the website of Project LakuteSiches.com. I mentioned this a few times. The Lubavitcher Rebbe would present Siyumim on Mesechtas, which means he would conclude tractates of Gemara, sometimes the whole Shas, a few times a year. Usually at the Fabrengans associated with the art sites, the Rebbe would make a Siyum on a Mesechta. This sicha that we're going to learn today, the Rebbe said on Chaf of Tovshin Lamed Zayin, the 20th of Av, 1977. The 20th of Av, of course, is the yardset of his father, Hagon HaMekubur Eblevi Yitzchak And each year on Chaf of, the Rebbe would hold a long Fabrengen, and among the highlights of the Fabrengen was a grand siyum, a sechta that would make a siyum on a sechta in his exploring the the lambdas, the pilpul, and the meaning of the end of the Masechta, the beginning of the Masechta, some of those siyus, these siyumim are what you may call timeless classics. Just a few weeks ago, we learned together the siyum on Masechus Chagiga, that was also said on Chafav. That was Chafav Tavshin uh, Lamed Aleph, 1971. But today, we're going to learn Chafav Tavshin Lamed Zayin, 1977. And this is a siyum that the Rebbe made on Mishnayis. Mishnayis Masechus Kinim, which is the last tractate of Seder Kachem. So he said then that he's making a siyum on Meseches Kinim and the whole Seder Kachem. The whole order, the section of Shas of Kachem. And the last Mishnayis, which doesn't have Gemara on it, is Meseches Kinim. And the Sicha was continued on the Shabbos Fabrengen of Parshas Ekev Lamad Zayin, and then continued Shabbos Parshas Re'e Lamad Zayin. And these sichas were compiled and edited, and parts of them were published in Lakute Sichas, Volume 17, the second sicha for Parshas Tazriya. 
as most of these sikhs, they were said in Yiddish, and they were transcribed in Yiddish, so we're going to learn them in Yiddish, and of course I will translate Be'ezir Hashem for those who don't have or have mastered the Yiddish language. Okay, so please open your source sheets, let's begin. Before we begin the actual sikha, as always we need a little introduction to be able to understand the concept. So it all begins with an innocent pasuk in the opening of Parshas Tazriya. The Torah speaks about the opening of Tazriya's Ishiki Tazriya Vyalda Zachar. A woman gives birth either to a male, to a female, to a boy, or to a girl. And there is an obligation for a woman who gave birth to bring an offering, to bring a carbine after a certain period of time, following the birth either of the male child or the female child. As the Torah says, if you open up your source sheets, you'll see the source sheets. We have the Sicha. The Sicha is there, right? But at the end of the Sicha, we have the actual source sheets, the Project Lakuti Sicha is prepared. And that's page 11 in your source sheet. So please go there. Page 11. And there you have the first source. Parshas Tazuya, Perik Yud Beis, Pasuk Zayin. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. Uvim lo yisimei taro levene levas, tovi keves ben shnosei lo'ayla v'nyoyna asar lechatas al pesach al-maida When the days of purity are up, either for the birth of a son or the birth of a daughter, the mother ought to bring a sheep as a carbon oila, as an oila offering, and in addition to that, a second offering, either a young pigeon called a benyayna or a turtle dove called a tar. She brings that as a chatas known as a sin offering, and she brings it, of course, to the sanctuary, to the mishkan, or later to the Besamikdash, where the kayan would offer it. And the pastor continues, Ve'im loy simtsa yada. I'm sorry, I said Zion Ches. This is Pasuk Ches, verse 8. What happens if she can't afford a sheep because of poverty? Then the woman takes either two turtle doves or two young pigeons, two young doves, and she offers one is an oila, a complete burnt offering. That's called an oila, and the other one is a chatas, a sin offering, and the kayan shall affect atonement, and she becomes completely pure. So we have our two options that the Torah gives. Option number one is if she can afford it, she brings one offering, which is a sheep, and the other one, which is a young pigeon or a turtle dove. Or if she's poor, she brings two offerings, but both of them are turtle doves, or both of them are young pigeons, and of course that would be much more affordable because a sheep would be much more expensive and pricey than a bird, and this becomes an offering of an island, an offering of a chatos. Meseches kinim, what does kinim mean? The word kain is the Talmudic term, the Mishnah term for a pair of birds. So when a poor woman brings two birds, and you have to understand that there were only two types of birds that were allowed to be brought as a carbon in the Beis HaMikdash. Only two. There weren't many types of birds that you could bring. Even kosher birds, most of the birds are kosher. Only two types of birds you could bring to the Beis HaMikdash or to the Mishkan as an offering. Only a tur and a benyayna. A young pigeon, a benyayna, and a turtle dove. That's it. Cain, kuf nun, in today we call Khan as a nest, but Cain here is not a nest, it's a pair of birds, which means a set of two birds that the woman brings as an offering. And by the way, there were another five instances where people were obligated, men or women, to bring a pair of birds as an offering to the Beis HaMikdash. Another five instances in Allah. Most of the cases were women who brought them after birth. But you have the case of a Zav and a Zav, you have the case of a Mitzayra, a leper, 
when he becomes pure, also has to bring two birds. You also have the case of a Nazir who becomes impure. You have six cases in Allah where you bring six scenarios in Allah where you bring specifically it's actually more than six, but six scenarios where you bring two birds. This is called a cane. A cane is a set, a pair of birds. One becomes a carbon ayla, one becomes a carbon chatas. Why do you need a tractate for Mishnayis for this? Maseches kinem. Kinem is the plural of cane. Cane. Cane is one pair, and kinem are peers of birds, sets of birds. Because here's the issue. The issue is as follows. The processing of a carbon oil was very different than the processing of a carbon chatos in different ways. But one of the primary differences is what you did with the blood. After the kayan killed the bird, and there was a process how he, how he killed the bird, which was called malika, through the nape of the bird, and the bird died, which was akin to slaughtering, but it wasn't slaughtered. It was a different process called malika. The kayan needed to... Uh, placed part of the blood of the bird on the mizbeach, on the altar, which is done by every single carbon. But here is a difference between the oila sa'if and the chata sa'if. The bird that was brought as a carbon oil, the bird that was brought as a carbon chatas. The bird that was brought as a carbon oila, the blood had to be placed on the higher part of the altar. The altar, the mizbeach, was divided by a chuta sikra, by a red string that was a division between the higher part of the altar and the lower part of the altar. When there was a bird that was brought as an oila, the blood was placed on the higher part. When it was a chatos, the blood was placed on the lower part. We learn out from the Torah that if you confuse the two, which means the oil goes to the lower part and the chatos goes to the higher part, the carbon is invalid, it's disqualified. So here is the issue of Mesechus Kinnah. Most of the tractate deals with a situation where birds get mixed up. The carbon oil bird gets mixed up with the carbon chatos bird. And that creates a halacha confusion what should be done. And this is what the Masechta deals with in so many different scenarios. It has three chapters, and it goes through very many scenarios after it establishes, in the beginning of the tractate, the main rules governing the Euler bird and the Chatos bird. We now come to the last Mishnah of Masechus Kinnim, and again, there's three chapters, so this is the last Mishnah of the third chapter. The last Mishnah is a very complicated one. A lot of... <laughs> Mathema- many mathematical equations, a lot of calculations. You have to hold, in Yiddish it's called Halton Cup. You have to keep focus because there's a lot of complexities of how it works. But here is the thrust of the issue. And that is, a major confusion happens. And when this major confusion happens, we get into a big mess. And the halacha question is what we do. So let's see. See you, Meseches Kinnam. Your second source in the sources, this is the last mission of Kinnam. Ha'isha Sha'amra, a woman who said, She says, you know, if God grants me this blessing and I'm going to give birth to my baby boy, I want to bring a cane, a pair of birds, as a special contribution to Hashem, to the Beis HaMikdash. Now, Yalda Zachar, Baruch Hashem, it happens. She had a baby, everything is good. She now has to bring... Two pairs of beards. Two pairs of birds. Achas lenidra achas One is because she made a special pledge. The second is because she has an obligation, like any other mother who gives birth. So she actually brings four birds. Remember, every woman who gives birth is obligated to bring an oil and a chatas after birth. Either it's a sheep and a bird, or it's two birds. But this woman decided to go the extra mile. And she says specifically... If I have a baby boy, I am pledging, I am making a promise to give a special contribution 
a special nether, she makes a special promise that she's going to give an extra contribution, a cane, a set of birds, a set of birds. Now, when you contribute a set of birds to the Beis HaMikdash, simply as a pledge, it's not coming because of obligation, both of them are carbon oilless. When she brings her obligatory offering, then one is an oiler, one is a chatos. But when she makes a pledge to bring an offering, that pledge doesn't include a sin offering. There's nothing about a sin. It's like a donation. It's not about a sin. So therefore, both of those birds are going to both be brought as a carbon ayla. So the Mishnah says she has to bring two sets of birds. One to fulfill her neder, her promise, and one to fulfill her obligation, which every woman who gives birth has an obligation to bring a carbon. Nisanasam l'kayin. She gives them to the Kayin. The Kayin now has to offer four birds. But three of them, he sprinkles the blood on the higher part of the altar and one on the lower part of the altar. Why? Because in the obligatory set of birds, one is an Ayla, so the blood goes on the higher part of the Mizbech, and one is a Chatas, the blood goes on the lower part of the Mizbech. In the pledge that she offered, it's two birds and they're both an oila. So they both go on the higher part of the Mizbech. So that's why he says three birds, the blood is placed on the higher part of the altar and one bird, the blood is placed on the lower part of the altar. Everything is good. If the Mishnah would end here, we would be able to go to sleep very nicely this evening. The problem is he didn't do this. Why didn't he do this? Presumably, as some commentators say, she came... She was in a rush. He was in a rush. She was stressed. He was stressed. I don't know what is happening. She gave him two sets of birds. He naturally assumed both of these are obligatory offerings. He didn't realize that one of these sets is coming because of a personal pledge she made. Maybe he thought she had twins. Maybe he thought she was bringing it on behalf of her sister-in-law or behalf of a friend of hers. He didn't realize. So what happened? So two of the birds, he placed the blood on top of the altar. Two of the birds, he placed the blood on top of the on the bottom of the altar. He didn't speak to her. He didn't consult her. He did this on her own. If he would have spoken to her, he would have realized that what? That he's not doing well. Because three of them are an oila. Only one is a chatas. But he thought two of them are an oila and two of them are a chatas. So what happens? So now we have a problem. The problem is that one of her oilas is not good because the blood was placed on the bottom and it's a very serious thing by carbonus. Carbonus is a very serious thing. You know, you sanctify an animal or a bird or a meal offering and it becomes sacred and this is going to become something that's going to ascend to the divine and every detail counts how it's processed and how it's slaughtered and where the blood is placed and what it's what you do with the animal afterwards. So here we have a serious problem. So what does she have to do? She has to bring one more bird, and this he offers on top. He places the blood on the higher part of the altar. In other words, three of the birds are good. Three of the birds are good. Because remember, three he did on top and one he did on bottom. So three of them is good. The problem is, I'm sorry, three of them are good because he did two on top and two on bottom. The problem is, one of them was disqualified because... The second set of birds was brought as her personal pledge, and both of them had to be done on top, and he did one of them on bottom, remember. So therefore, she has to bring another preda, another bird, and this bird is offered as her final bird, as part of the set, which was her nedir, her personal pledge, and of course, he offers it lamaila. This is the first mess that was created, but Nishke she just brought one bird. 
This is mimin echad. Of all the four were brought from one species. Now, the Mishnah intensifies the mess and therefore the complications and therefore the compensations. And the Mishnah now goes through a scenario where instead of having to bring one more bird, she'll have to bring two more. And then a case where she has to bring three. And then a case where she has to bring four. And then a case where she has to bring five. And then a case where she has to bring six. And then a case where she has to bring seven new birds. Such a mess was created. The last case of this Mishnah is that she has to bring seven new birds. Initially, she had to bring four, two sets, what's called a cane and a cane. But because of the mess, and the final mess is the biggest mess, she, take a look at the final mess. Nisanas, a few lines later. Nisanasam lakayan. She gave her birds to the kayan. Ve'enya dua manasna. She doesn't remember which birds she gave him. Here's the problem. The problem is she designated which species she wants to use for her pledge. She didn't just say any bird of the two birds. The turtle dove of the pigeon. She specified which one. She gave the birds to the kind. She doesn't remember what she gave. Now he went and he processed it and he doesn't remember what he did. Did he sprinkle it on top? Did he sprinkle it on bottom? So there's a major colossal mess here. She has to bring another four for her pledge. Another two for her obligation. Because she specified which particular bird she wants for her pledge and she doesn't know what she gave him. So she now has to bring four for her pledge. Instead of two, she has to bring another four. And then she has to bring another two for her obligation. Why? Because her obligatory offerings may have also been disqualified because the Kayin doesn't remember how he processed it. Did he put it on top of the Mizrach? Did he put it on the bottom of the Mizrach? She also has to bring another sin offering. The commentators go into detail to figure out exactly what is happening here in every single one of the scenarios. And Benazir says he has to bring another two sin offerings, which means she has to bring another eight birds. Wow. Now, I'm not going to go into all the calculations right now. Everybody can open up a Maseches Kinnam and take your time and your patience and learn it slowly with the commentaries. There's a different... Approaches to this Mishnah, there's the approach of the Bartanura, the approach of Rashi, the approach of the Rambam, the approach of Teferis Yisrael. It's, it's complex and it's nuanced, it's fascinating. But the bottom line here is that if you just realized how this thing evolved or devolved, the first case was the Kayan made a simple mistake, an innocent mistake, and it cost her another bird. One more bird, okay, instead of four, she brings five. But as the mess intensifies... It's costing her more and more. And then in the grand final of Masechus Kinnim, she's bringing seven new birds. And according to Benazai, eight new birds. Initially, she was obligated to bring four birds, two for her obligatory offering, two for her pledge, for her neder. Now, because of this amazing mix-up, she got mixed up, he got mixed up, they both got mixed up. If one of them got mixed up, it's also a mess. But when both of them get mixed up on every level, everything that went wrong could go wrong, basically. So she can't even bring four. You can't say, okay, let's just start over again. <laughs> let's just bring, you know, well, let's scratch this. Let's bring another four birds, which would have made sense, right? It's not going to work. The reason your four birds are not going to work anymore is because she specified what species she needs to fulfill, what species she's going to bring to fulfill for her pledge. And she has to fulfill that. Because if not, her pledge wasn't fulfilled. Because a pledge on nether is very serious. 
it becomes a serious commitment in the world. And therefore, she has to bring seven new birds. But Nazai says eight. Now we come to the next stage. Omar Rabbi Yahushua. Now here is where the Mishnah becomes absolutely, I mean, it's fascinating till now, but it's fascinating on a different level. But here the Mishnah takes a very sharp turn. And from complicated mathematical nuances and details, intricate halachas of how kinim work and how an oiler works and how achatas work and how confusions work and how peers work and how pledges work, the Mishnah now takes a sharp turn. On my Rabbi Yehoshua, Rabbi Yehoshua said, Zehu she'amru, this, what you just heard in this Mishnah, this is what they said. Who's they? He doesn't say who's they. What they said, this is what they said. What did they say? They said, When he is alive, he possesses one sound. When he is dead, his sound is sevenfold. Again, when he's alive, he has one sound. When he's dead, he has seven sounds. His, his, uh, his sound is doubled, tripled, etc., quadrupled, sevenfold. His, his voice, Kaila is, his voice becomes sevenfold. Ketzad, Kaila Shiva. What do we mean by this? What do we mean when we say that his sound is sevenfold? Who are we even talking about? <laughs> so as the commentators say, we're talking about a sheep. We're talking about a ram. We're talking about a beast. He doesn't say it specifically. The Rebbe suggested then in the talk that um, the offering of a woman when she gives birth is a sheep. Unless she's poor, she brings two birds. He doesn't even have to specify it. That we're talking about a sheep or we're talking about a ram, a kevis. So when it's alive, it has one voice. When it's dead, it has seven. Kate said, Kailu Shiva. What do we mean by this? Says Rabbi Yeshua. Shtei karnov. Shtei The two horns of the ram are turned into two trumpets. Shtei shaykov. Shnei chalilin. The two leg bones are turned into two flutes. Oiroi, the skin, l'soif, is transformed into a drum. Mayav, the intestines, linavalim, are used for the strings of a lyre. A lyre is one of those stringed instruments. So he says, the hide is turned into a drum, and the intestines, the entrails, are turned into strings for the lyre. And then the Mishnah continues. Bnei mayav, lechinoires. The large intestines are used for the strings of a harp. A kinner is a harp. So this is what we use the large intestines for. And Rabbi Yeshua says, this is the seven voices. You see, when the sheep is alive, when the ram is alive, when the beast is alive, it has one sound. It dies. And suddenly it has seven. Let's think about this. Two horns became two trumpets. That's two. Two leg bones, two thighs became two flutes. That's four. 
The skin, the hide became a drum. That's five. The intestines became lyres. That's six. And the large intestines became harps. That's seven. So you turned, you took the various organs of this animal and you turned them into seven instruments which are producing seven different sounds. And some say, The wool of the sheep can also be used to make tcheles. Tcheles is, of course, the turquoise color with which wool was dyed. And this is referring to the commentators say, the robe of the Kayan Gadol, the Me'il, was made out of tcheles. It was wool taken from a sheep, sheared from a sheep, that was dyed with the turquoise color of tcheles. On the hem of the robe, there were what's called pa'amoinim, bells that would make noise, so it produced another sound. And near those bells, you had rimoinim, made of tcheles, you had uh, woolen pomegranates, they were shaped in a pomegranate, and the bells banged into them, pounded into them, and made noise. So this is another source of noise, another sound that comes from the sheep, from the wool. So we have eight. And of course, this parallels the point of view, view of Ben Azai, because the first opinion was that the most the most birds that the woman would have to bring to compensate for the mess is seven, but Ben Azai said eight. So Rabbi Yeshua says, ah, this is what they said. When the sheep is alive, it has one voice, one sound. The sheep died, it has seven or maybe eight. The Mishnah continues. Reb Shimon ben Akashi said, Ziknei Ama'aretz. Old people who are Ama'aretz, they're ignorant. The older they get, the more they become confused. Shenemar, the verse says in Eoiv, Job chapter 12, Hashem removes the language of the loyal ones and the flavor of the elderly He takes away or the reasoning of the elderly he sometimes takes away. But elders of Torah, those who are saturated with Torah, or in the source sheet they put in Ziknei Torah, there's another version, Ziknei Talmidei Chachamim, I believe, Ziknei Torah, yeah, Ziknei Torah, elders of Torah, Kozman Shemaskinim, the older they get, their mind becomes more settled. Shanemar, it says in Eiv chapter 12, in old age there's wisdom, and in the length of days there is understanding. And this concludes Meseches Kinim and the entire Seder Kachim, which we learned to say the Taras. What is the point of these last two statements in the Mishnah? What does it mean? So the commentators explain. If you look up Rabbeinu Evadya of Bartanura, the classic commentary on the Mishnah, the Rav, the Bartanura. Or you look in the commentary of Rambam on Mishnayis and other commentators, their point is as follows. Rabbi Yeshua is trying to give us an explanation. And he says, this is such a strange phenomenon. The strange phenomenon is what? A woman wanted to bring four birds and she ends up bringing seven or eight. How do you make sense out of this? Rabbi Yeshua said, ah, this is what they said. When the sheep was alive, it produced one sound. Meh. When it died, you would think that sound would be over. It's dead. Suddenly, it produces seven sounds. 
This woman, initially, when she brought her offerings and she made the pledge, she had to bring two sets of birds, only four. Right? Now, there's a mess, there's a confusion. It's like when the sheep dies, everything gets confused, everything changes. And what happens? There's many more sounds. There's many more voices. There's many more birds that are brought. There's seven birds. There's eight birds, just like the sheep after it's dead has seven sounds or eight sounds that come from the instruments that are fashioned from the various organs of the sheep. Or as the Rambam puts it, when the sheep dies and essentially deteriorates, it loses its value, it's dead. Suddenly you could do so many more mitzvahs with it because you can take the various parts and make trumpets out of them, shoifers out of them, various musical instruments that would play in the Beis HaMikdash or at other wonderful occasions and actually fulfill mitzvahs with these instruments. As a result of the sheep's death, if the sheep of the ram wouldn't die, you could never do it. So the Rambam says, as a result of the deterioration, now you can have a shaifa for Rosh Hashanah, you can have a trumpet for the Beis HaMikdash, you can have a shaifa for the Beis HaMikdash, you can have a drum in the Beis HaMikdash, a harp, a lyre. These were all instruments that were used in the Beis HaMikdash on a daily level for the musical concertos that the Levites would, that the Levian would conduct in the Beis HaMikdash. The Kohen Gadol can have a robe with pomegranates, all because the ram has died. Here too, as a result of the mess, as a result of the confusion, we have so many more birds that have brought us carbonus. What's the connection with the last piece? What's the connection with the last piece? Elderly, what's the connection? Same point, says the Bartanura. The sheep died, what happened? More voices, more sounds. A person gets older, what happens? Their body deteriorates. People get weaker. So he says, those who are Amayaretz, who are ignoramus, indeed, they become weaker and their minds become weaker. But the sages of Torah, what happens? Even though you would expect them to become more feeble because of their physical weakness, what happens? Their wisdom grows. Here too, as the, as, as the situation becomes more complicated and more problematic, like the person getting older and older, you would expect a decline. What happens? The woman ends up bringing seven more offerings, or according to Benazah, eight more offerings. This is the basic classic understanding of this fascinating Mishnah at the end of Masechus Kin. <clears throat> I hope it's clear, at least on some level. Now, let's go to the Sikh itself. Please go to the Sikh itself. We had the source sheet, so now go to the top, and... Let's go to the Sikh itself. If you go to the source sheets, again, page one, two, three. If you go to theyeshiva.net, you can open your source sheets. It's page 131, third page when you start scrolling down from the source sheet. You see Tazriya Bez, there's a star, and it says, V'siya Meseches Kinem, V'seder Kachim. Now, the first Se'if we just did, so I'm not going to do it again. He basically quotes the Mishnah, the whole Mishnah, till the end. And he quotes the commentators who explain what the Mishnah means, which I just went through with you inside the Mishnah. I want to go to the next page, Se'iv Beis. Se'iv Beis begin the questions. The Lubavitcher Rebbe's classic questions on this Mishnah, very, very powerful questions, which teach you how to learn a Mishnah. Beis. According to the above, we really have to understand something. Aleph, number one. 
Oivdem minyan as malachat chilas give a menid v'yein zach. On davke doroch kilkel v'kayetzeb zeverin zibin zachen. Kame gebin kama v'kama dogmoyes. Vila moshen. A dogma pshuta von the chosem was gain ibe b'yerusha from them fotter to zibin other acht yershem. Calls man that meirish lept gehen in the chosem to ein mensh. Kushoh meis und the kinder yershen in the chosem gehen in the chosem to zibin other acht mensh. Meila kunt in them to ribu yon eichin mitzvus as abba by a mitzvus. Abba zunder chiyuv. Mitzvahs peye, bikurim, v'chuli. If yedber chelik asada, was a fanandig, it had given to yedder bazunder. Bidung mividiri b'kabonis, but they were ladders. From them, Mr. Yeshua, bring dafke, di dugma, is moving as in der dugma, is da teichen, was his masim b'yoyser, linidin de dan, merviandere dugmois. Rabbi says, I don't understand. You're looking for some type of concrete illustration that there was one entity, and through a mess, through a deteriorate, through a deteriorating process, it went from one to seven or eight. You can give so many examples, and he says, take the most concrete example of assets. A father is alive, and all of his assets and all of his money belong to whom? To one person. He passes away, and what happens if he has seven children? He has seven ears. Now, the same property belongs to seven people. Ownership gets increased by sevenfold. <laughs> Instead of one person owning the property, now you have seven people owning the property. Now you have seven opinions. <laughs> now you have seven people involved. Now suddenly there's seven people who got it. And what does that mean? So you say, okay, but it's not connected. Here there's new carbonus. He says, no. So a lot of new things happen. There's a lot of ribui. There's seven, there's seven or maybe eight people, if there's eight children or seven children, or as many children as there are. They can all be diff, do, being, doing different types of things, and there's also many more mitzvahs. Why? Because as long as the father had all this property, so he had mitzvah on him, whatever the mitzvahs were. But now every child who is an heir has his own obligation in all of the mitzvahs connected to property. For example, when you have a field, you have a mitzvah of peya. The corner of the field you have to leave for the poor. You have a mitzvah of bikurim. The new fruits that grow from the seven species with which Eretz was praised, you have to fill up a basket with them and bring them to, bring them to Yerushalayim and give them to the kayan. And all of the other mitzvahs, whether you're dealing with trumas and maestras, there's so many mitzvahs that are connected to agriculture. Before it was one mitzvah on one person. Now it's seven different mitzvahs on each child who has his own field. So if you had one huge field, you now divided the field. So if you had one, let's say one big field, right? So the field had one mitzvah, pay you one mitzvah, but now you divided the field into seven different properties. So now everyone has their own mitzvah, pay their own mitzvah, just like by the woman who was gave birth, by the Yeletas. As the situation apparently became more messy, she now has many more mitzvahs. It seems like Rabbi Yeshua finds a very interesting example of a sheep or a ram. Whose voice, whose sound was one and suddenly became seven. It seems like there's something about this illustration that is more appropriate than any other example. But what is it? If it's just the idea that when situations become worse, they often increase, there's new opportunity, and there's things that are added, 
and things that are increased. You can bring other examples. That's number one. V'tzarech lahavin vases the taichen. Now, the aim loyman of the Mishnah breaking the dogma from Yerushalayim by Kinnim is the token shinu in the kabbonas was yet frigid of bringen. So he's not moisif alayim. Mashenken by Yerusha is the moirish bottle. For a mesh by kavas is bottle the kalf the kavas beseret gila. You can say maybe the Mishnah needs to bring this example because an inheritance wouldn't work. You know why? Because by Kinnim, by the birds, there's no change in the offerings that she had to bring. She just has to add. In other words, by Yerusha, the original one is gone. By Kinnim, there's no change in the offerings that she had to bring. She just has to add more. The originals remain. Here, it's gone. The Moirish is bottled. But by the Kevis, is the same thing. The sheep is also gone. <laughs> that original voice is gone. When the sheep dies, there's no man anymore. It's substituted into new sounds. Now, you might want to say, the reason he didn't want to bring an example from Yerusha is because the father is gone. He passes away. And now the children take over. The original one is not there anymore. So it's not like Kinnim. Because by Kinnim, it's not like she passed away. It means there's no change in the carbonus that she had to bring. She had to bring, but now she brings more. She adds to them. In fact, some of them may have been kosher. In fact, maybe <laughs> in some cases it may have worked out. We just don't know. But if that's the case, the sheep is also not a good example because that original sheep is gone. Base. <laughs> Is not moving. What's that? Taisvus Avana comes to in the minion. The Rotemus Mezakta Zeru Shamuk Shulchai Kaleach. We don't just bring, especially in Mishnayos. You don't just bring parables to entertain people. You learn Mishnayos, you'll see that's not what happens. If a parable or an allegory or a metaphor is brought, it's in order to make it palpable, to make it understandable, fathomable, to bring it down to a person's mind. The Rambam says right here in his commentary, the Rambam in Mishnayah says that the concept was strange, so Rabbi Yeshua felt the need to illustrate it. The Rebbe says, granted, but where do you get more understanding from this from this parable of a sheep? It's very interesting to think about the fact that the sheep died and its organs are turned into musical instruments and one sound became seven, one voice became seven voices, one sound became seven sounds granted. But how does that give us an explanation or a deeper or clearer understanding in this very concept? Which means that apparently the parable is not serving a purpose. What's the purpose? Gimel. From Pashtus, Lashon of Yeshua, Zehu Shamru, Unit Kimoisham, Rulamaha Dover, Demavakaitz, it says Mashma, as it is the mit nit nor mevayer dem inyan von Kinem Shabemishna. Nor Eichva Adrabe, mit dem din in Kinem vert Musber Masham Nukshulchai Kaleyachat, Vulchaida, der inyan von Kshulchai Kaleyachat, Kshulmeis Kaley Shiva, is an einfacher inyan tivi, medafiv dem kenas bodin etapen. It's a very interesting question. The language of Rabbi Yeshua is, this is what they said. When a sheep is alive, it has one sound. When it dies, its sound becomes sevenfold. He doesn't say, like they said about the sheep. Or let me give an example from the sheep. He says, this is what they said about the sheep. It sounds like he's not only trying to explain our mission in Kinnam. He's also trying to explain the statement about the sheep. (laughs) 
You understand? If he would have said, let me give you a metaphor. When a sheep is alive, it has one sound. When it dies, it has seven. Okay. So he's giving a parable to explain the mission in Kinnah. But the language of Rabbi Yeshua is, Zeu Sha'amru, this is what they said. It's almost like, now you'll understand what they said. Zeu, this is the meaning of what they said. Now you'll understand what they said. It's almost, it seems like he's trying to explain also, and maybe even more, <laughs> what they said about the sheep, as though that's the focus. So obviously, what is he trying to explain? Their statements of somebody who said something? Who's the one who said this? <laughs> That's what the Rebbe said. The who is the person who said this statement that Rabbi Yeshua feels that now my job is to explain what that guy said? Whoever said it. <laughs> Whoever was the author of that comment about the sheep. I have to explain it and let me tell you, oh, now we understand it. But the truth is, the basic question is what he asks here is, you don't need an explanation. It's it's a, it's it's. It's part of nature. And it's a very obvious and self-understood reality. When a sheep dies, it's dead, it's lifeless. But its organs are used into instruments and suddenly one sound became seven. I get it. It's a fascinating natural phenomenon. doesn't need an explanation. So Rabbi Yeshua says, Zeu Shomru. This is, this is the pshat v'zom gizak. Zeu, this is v'zom gizak about a kever. As though we have to explain this statement about a sheep. Oich, also, and now he's, the Rebbe is going to add what I just said a moment ago. If I live in the Maim Mekshul Chayvot Gefadet Hasbara, it's not in Yonah for our Mishnah, the Torah B'chol, so it's not going to be if I'm a Maim Since when is it the mission statement of Mishnayis, or Torah generally, to give explanations on statements said by people in the world? So somebody made such a statement about a sheep. It's a very interesting statement. Let's say it is a very complex statement and it needs explanation. Is this the function of Mishnayas? <laughs> to start explaining what people say about sheep? It, so, the, so, so we have three questions. Muzman zagen, as mit kshochai, meintra bishu nitzdam zagen amashlof an amay medayolam. Noran inyo vasiz negeil adin vahalacha. Undas meintra bishna zehu sha'amru. As the beer and the halacha was come to rest in my Makshochai, Netman arose from the dinner and the mission to get the Kabbanas for the Yeladus Brink. When Rabbi Yeshua said this, he didn't just mean to give a parable from something that's said in the world. He's actually saying something that's relevant to halacha. And that's what he means. Zeo Shamru. The explanation in the halacha about a sheep and the difference between a live sheep and a dead sheep. You can take out, you can deduce from the halacha and meseches kinem about the offerings of a mother after she gave birth. So to, to sum, summarize if base summation. Question number one is why not just give a simpler example of a father who died and his inheritance got split up and increased, and from one owner there are seven owners with many more mitzvahs. Number two. A parable is here to explain, to illustrate, to add understanding. Where do we gain? Where do we glean more understanding through this parable? Okay, the sheep died and there's seven sounds granted. Seven musical instruments between the trumpets and the drum and the lyre and the harp. Granted. How does that really explain what happened here? The woman forgot what she did. 
The Kayan forgot what he did. There's a colossal mess and she has to bring seven new birds. Will you give me explanation? Now most people, when they learn the mission, they don't have these questions. You know why? Why not? Okay, it's a metaphor. That's not how you learn a Mishnah. That's not how you learn a Mishnah. The Mishnah is not here just to tell stories, to entertain people, to put you to sleep with stories. Every word in Mishnah is meticulous and precise. There's episagedir here. There's a vart here. There's a yisoid here that's being conveyed. What is it? Third question is, Rabbi Yeshua's language intimates that he's not just explaining our Mishnah. He's also interested in explaining the story of the sheep that died as though it's some sacred story. (laughs) Some children's story that somebody made up that when a sheep died and suddenly seven sounds, it's a very natural phenomenon. That's what he wants to explain. This is what they said. It's almost like this statement is some sacred old tradition from the days of yore that was passed down by some of the greats. Where does this come from? It's a statement. Who said it? No Tana said it. No no Tana said it. No Pasuk said it. No Navi said it. It's a Maimon. The Veldzakt in Yiddish they say, the Veldzakt, a Maimon Oilem. The world says, it's a Maimon. It's one of those quotable quotes. Shmak. I have no issue with quotable quotes. But it's like, Zeu Shamruah. This is what they said. First of all, it doesn't explain our Mishnah. Second of all, it seems like he wants to explain that quote. But you don't have to explain that quote. <laughs> the quote is very obvious. It makes sense. You don't have to explain it. And even if you did, is this the job of Mishnayis? Is this the job of Rabbi Yeshua? Is this the job of Torah? By the way, when the Rebbe asked the question, he added, the Gemara says Rabbi Yeshua was He was considered the wisest Jew of the day. In fact, all of the major debates against the philosophers of non-Jewish philosophers of the time were conducted by Rabbi Yeshua. There's a whole sugi of Meseches Chagiga Davhei and a big sugi of Meseches Pcheiris Davches, the great debate between Rabbi Yeshua, Stam Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya. By the way, Rabbi Yeshua was a Levi. He served as a Levi at the end of the era of the second Beis Hamikdash. So he knew about the musical instruments. Just I just thought about this. He knew about the musical instruments in the Beis Hamikdash because he would sing or he would play music. He was a musician or a or a vocalist, but he was a Levi who was in the Beis Hamikdash. He was one of the Mishayirim. The Gemara says, "Stam Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya." And he was there at the Chorban, and he was a great debater. He debated the sages of Athens, Savi the Be'asuna, 60 sages of Athens, the, the Greek philosophers during the Roman era. So Rabbi Shua was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. So the Rebbe said that. Rabbi Shua is not just coming here to tell us little stories or give us cute metaphors. Rabbi Shua was saying something, this profound, any Tana, but certainly Rabbi Shua, Chachimoy the Yudai. So what do we have to learn? What do we have to say here? Rabbi Yeshua is not just telling us statements and giving us explanations. Zeu Omru, what they said, is not the pastam, somebody said it. There's something of halacha that's being said here. Zehu Omru. Now you'll understand what they said. And this halacha comes out from our Mishnah. But what? What is it? Very hard to understand. It's not clear. Next step. Gimel, weiter is the Mishnah Mamshech, Rabshim Benakashoim, Mizikne Amor, it's called Manshe Maskin, Im Daitum, Terevis, Alem Shem, Mesis of Lemon, Matamskin, Yikoch, Avul Zikne, Terene, Kenel, Kos, Manshe Maskin, Im Daitum, Mesis of Lemon, Shem, 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 Mesis of Lemon, Sh
We already said this, the last part of the Mishnah is about the different types of people who get old, those who are Amiratsim, they are ignorant, and those who are saturated with Torah, and the connection is that even when they get old, Talmidei Chachamim, men and women of Torah, even when they get old and they become weak, their wisdom only increases. Medaf Abe Fashtein asks the Lubavitcher Rebbe Aleph, Gewaldike four questions the Lubavitcher Rebbe asked. Question number one. Why are you putting in here the negative that ignorant people, the older they get, the more confused their mind gets? What's the point? That's not the theme you're trying to convey. So scratch it. Delete that part. What do you need it for? As the Rebbe said in the Fabrengen, generally the Torah avoids speaking disgracefully about people. Even about animals, the Gemara says in Baba Basra, Kufchav Gimel, the beginning of Psachim, We don't even like to speak negatively about an unkosher animal. That's just an, 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 an addition in parentheses, but it's not relevant here. Why are you talking about elderly people who are Ameya Aritz that their mind gets confused? Number one. Number two. What's the Chiddush of the Mishnah? Everybody knows as people get older and they get weaker, it affects their mental capacity. Physical strength and physical decline and decline in a person's health and a person becomes weaker, it affects also their, their intellectual keenness and acuteness and sharpness. It's, it's, unfortunately, it's part of the natural phenomenon of, of aging. So he says, my Kamashna, what's the Chiddush? First of all, why is it relevant here? Why are you inserting it here? And second of all, it's, it's, it's obvious. When people get older, yeah, they become more confused. Things change. The body changes and the brain changes. I mean, we all know this. Question number three. It's opposite of what you're trying to bring out. The Mishnah is trying to bring out how precisely through the decline, there is an increase. Through the mess that happened in the Beis Amigdash, the Kayan forgot, the woman forgot, there's more Karbonas. So how do you bring that out? By telling me that Talmidei Chachamim, the older they get, the wiser they get. Beautiful. When you tell me about Ziknei Amayar, it's the exact opposite point. The older you get, the less it gets, not the more it gets. And number four, even if you want to say it, because you want to contrast it, say it at the end. The main point is, Reb Shemim Ben-Akashi should have said like this, Reb Shemim Ben-Akashi the older they get, the more they, their mind becomes settled. And then, even if you feel the need to contrast, which is also doesn't seem necessary, you could say afterwards. And by the way, Ziknei Amaretz is the opposite. Because that's your point. Your point is Ziknei Torah. Your point is not Ziknei Amaretz. It's very strange. Four big questions of the Rebbe. We're going to get into the explanation. Now, before that, I'm going to tell you a cute story. I was once invited to speak at a very big event in Eretz Yisrael in Israel. They told me that I'm going to go up at 10 o'clock. There were maybe four or 5,000 people there. This was in Kfar Chabad. And I was supposed to go up at 10 o'clock. I came there. 
I was waiting. <laughs> but every few minutes, another dignitary was coming and they had to give him the mic. You had members of the Knesset, members of the Israeli parliament, upstanding and famous celebrities and politicians and ministers. So they kept on coming in. So they kept on giving them the mic and delaying my speech further and further. The Rav of Kfar Chabad at the time was a Jew named Hagan Reb Motel Ashkenazi, Reb Mordechai Ashkenazi, Zechrena Levracha. I guess he noticed that I was somewhat upset. So he called me over and he said, let me tell you a story. And this is the story that Rabbi Ashkenazi shared with me. He said there was once a rabbinic conference, this is pre-Second World War, and there were two rabbinic figures at the conference. The first was the Rogat Shovegon, Sarah Torah, Rabbeinu Yosef Rosen, who passed away in 1936, Tainas Esther, Yedal of Adar, was one of the greatest minds in many, many generations. The Rogat Shovegon, he was there. And there was another rabbi there who was more modernized, more what we would call progressive halachically, and his scholarship did not come anywhere close to the Ragachover, nor did his spiritual integrity come close to the Ragachover. The question was, who's going to address the conference first? So this rabbi, understanding the greatness of the Ragachover gone, told the Ragachover, Rebbe, you speak first. The Ragachover said, no, 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 you speak first. He said, why do I get the honor of speaking before the Ragachover? So the Ragachover told him as follows, the was very sharp, he was not diplomatic. He said as follows, it's based on a Mishnah in Kinnim. Ignorant people, the older they get, the more confused they get. Torah scholars, the older they get, the wiser they get. So he says as follows. You are an Amoritz. The longer we delay your speech, the older you're going to get. The more your mind will become confused the more stupidity will come out of your mouth. He says, by me it's the opposite. If we delay my speech, I'm going to get a little older. My mind will become more settled. I'll have what to say better than what I had to say before. This is what Rekha told this person. So Rabbi Ashkenazi tells me, he says, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, it's a compliment. They're delaying your speech (laughs) later and later because they trust that the older you get, the more settled you become and the words that will emerge afterwards will be even better and wiser and deeper and more authentic than the words that were said earlier. <laughs> it was a very nice, very nice way to calm me down. And indeed, I went up very, very late, I think after midnight or close to midnight. Dalit, Here is the key of the explanation. What does the Rebbe want to do now? The Rebbe is now going to go to the core of the Mishnah. There's the mathematics of the Mishnah. There's the nuances of the Mishnah. The intricacies of the Mishnah. But now we have to go to the core of the Mishnah. What you call Nukudas Hatamtsas, the quintessence of the Mishnah. What's the real point here of the Mishnah? And when we can get to that, we'll understand what Rabbi Yeshua is telling us. This whole Mishnah about the confusion with the birds brings us and brings out a tremendous novel idea. Excuse me. <laughs> 
Und die Karbonis, was sie in See ist, sie immer gehoff. Hat man schon Makrev gewonnen. Und sie ist schon eine Schrappe geworden und jetzt sie gewonnen, Kalachiv, Shalom. Vahashar. Chulin Bazara. Bishlema. I'm going to explain in a moment. Bishlema chata so oivas kumte fasofik ba sofiki ladis vakayetze baza. Yashleimar. Kepashtus halimodin gemara. As the teirat mechadish given. As a filo oifasofik oibnitma. Is he oichayeva carbon le kapara. Vos is a matilachel bekotchim. But dungma vi anashim tali. For the teirat mechayev given brengen. Bishas is a sofik im chata. וזהו הנקרא אשם תלוי שהוא מחפר על הסופק ותלו לו יד שיבודו לו בבד השגחת ובשגגה. אבל בנית נדן נזדך תחייב מתחילה ודוזדיק. ונדסופק קומצו דנוח ועידי האיש והקיין. ציזיית משלם גוון ידי סופה, עבדם חיוב ונסחפר לו. איך? ווסר הגדר הבן דזיבן דדר אחת קרבונס. Because the sibe von zeir hakrova is a sofik shela isha oihakayin. There is a fundamental issue here that Rabbi Yeshua is trying to address. A woman who gives birth needs to bring two birds if she's poor. One for oila, one for chatas. In this case, she has to bring another two birds as a carbon oila because she made a special pledge. However, something happened. There were mistakes. Those mistakes created doubts. These mistakes and doubts were created through the errors of the woman, of the mother, and the kayan. And because of that, this woman is now obligated to bring many new offerings to the point that she may bring one, which may have to bring one more, two more, or three more, or four more, or five more, or six more, or maybe even seven more. And according to Benazah, there's a possibility that she has to bring eight new birds as karbanas. Now this is no simple thing. You're obligating a Jew to bring many new offerings in the Beis HaMikdash when it's possible that she's not obligated to bring them. Because we're not sure about what happened. It's possible in many of the cases in the Mishnah, it's possible that she actually fulfilled her obligation. Or she fulfilled part of her obligation. And the offerings that she was really obligated in, she may have offered them and fulfilled what she had to fulfill. And if you go through the Mishnah, you'll see how many levels of doubts there are. There are doubts and doubts and doubts. So it's possible that she already fulfilled everything she had to fulfill and she received all the atonement that she received, which in a regular case, if you just bring an unnecessary offering, it's called chulin bazara. You're bringing a mundane animal, you're offering it as a carbon into the base of Mikdash, which is an absolute no-no, it's an absolute transgression. In this case, of course, the halacha tells you to do it. But the phenomenon here is a very, very nuanced and complex one and strange one. She's bringing seven new birds, maybe eight new birds, according to Benazai, it's eight, according to the first Tana, it's seven, or even one or two or three or four or five or six additional birds, and all based on doubts, based on her mistakes, based on the Koyan's mistakes. They didn't notice, they forgot, they were overwhelmed, they were startled, whatever, they didn't realize, they were not cognizant, they were not focused, and because of that, you're obligating her to bring all of these karbonas. Now, he makes it clear, the Rebbe makes it clear, there are karbonas that you bring based on a doubt. For example, a woman may have a miscarriage, 
early on, and it's not sure, we're not sure if this was a miscarriage of a fetus or maybe she discharged something else. And the Gemara learns out, as he brings in the footnotes, that the Torah says that even if there's a doubt if she discharged a fetus or not, there is an obligation to bring a carbon. Because there's a suffix tumma, there's a doubt if she's tummy or not tummy, because whenever you have a baby, there's a tumma, and then you have to bring a carbon to go into the Besamekdash, and here it's a suffix. So the Torah says, for this suffix, for this doubt, you bring a carbon. Since it's a suffix tumma, you also bring a carbon, and afterwards you can go to the Besamekdash and you can eat carbonas, just like there's a case of an Asham Tali. An Asham Tali means there's certain sins that if a Jew did them by mistake, inadvertently he has to bring a carbon. It's called a carbon chatas. But what if you're not sure if you did this sin by mistake? It's an Asham Tali. For example, there's two pieces of uh, meat near you. Okay? One is shuman, one is chalav. One is the fat of a kosher animal. The other one is also the fat of a kosher animal, but it's the parts of the fat that you're not allowed to eat. You're not allowed to eat it. Now you ate one of these two. Maybe they looked identical. They're both fatty, but you don't remember. You don't know which one you ate. So you're not sure you have to bring a carbon chatas because if you ate the kosher meat, you're good. But if you ate the chalev, you would have to bring a carbon chatas. But here you're not sure. So you bring a special carbon called an asham tali. And the Torah says it. Until you find out for sure that you sinned, then you'll bring a carbon chatas. But at this point, it's called an asham tali, a suspended asham, an asham of when you are in a limbo state, when you're hanging tully, it's suspended. So here the Torah initially says that even though it's a doubt, you're bringing the carbon for a doubt. That's fine. The Torah here creates a type of carbon that is carved out from a doubt. But here that's not what happened. It's not that there was a doubt if the woman was obligated. So the Torah says, okay, bring the carbon. No. Here the obligation was absolutely certain. There's a woman who had a baby. She had to bring a pair of birds. She pledged a second pair of birds. The problems happened later. The obligation was a vada. It was an absolute obligation. She had to bring an offering. Because of the error of the kayan and of the woman, later this certain absolute set of karbonas turns into such a complicated situation. And now we don't know what's going on. We don't know if she fulfilled her obligation completely, if she fulfilled her obligation partially, if she did not fulfill her obligation at all. We don't know if she had a atonement, if she didn't have a atonement. And yet, our sages tell us what has to happen. She starts all over again. <laughs> and not she starts all over again and brings another four. No, she brings four, maybe she brings five, six, seven, eight. This is a very unique phenomenon in halacha. In addition to that, how do we define these seven or eight karbonas? They were caused by a suffolk. They were caused by a doubt in the woman's mind or in the kayan's mind or in both of their minds. So on one hand, you can't say that there's an absolute obligation to bring a carbon. There may not be. On the other hand, you can't say there's no obligation to bring a carbon because then it's chul and bazari and Allah to do it. So these karbonas are very limbo-like karbonas. What are they? Are they certain obligations? Are they not certain obligations? Are they obligations based on a doubt? But the doubt came from something that was absolute and certain. So you're dealing here with a mess within a mess. <laughs> How do you define all of these karbonas? So the Chazal understood that she has to bring these karbonas. And they said, you have to go and bring another bird or two birds or three birds or four birds in order to fulfill your obligation. But this is a gewaldike chiddish, that there was an absolute prescribed 
set of laws that she has to do. She and the Kayan messed up because of their mistakes, which is part of being human. We make mistakes. <laughs> that, that's being human. It's part of our vulnerability. And what happens suddenly? Oy, gewalt. You're not just repeating the process again. You're now bringing four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight new birds. Eight. That's double of the amount that you had to bring initially. And we don't even know if you're obligated fully or maybe again doing mistakes and the coin doesn't remember and she doesn't remember maybe everything was done right well, not every, the last case everything couldn't have been done right but maybe a lot of things were done right this is what Rabbi Yeshua needs to explain if Dem Zakir Rabbi Yeshua Rabbi Yeshua has to say something what does he say he says something very profound he's not just telling you a cute parable about taking a sheep and taking the limbs and turning them into instruments which is a beautiful lesson in school to teach Children and adults, how to make musical instruments and how to make use out of everything in the world and how everything, this is an incredible thing, how even an animal after it dies, it doesn't just die. It always gains, it gives something to the world. Every creature gives and takes, every creature. And even when an animal dies, its, its, its fossils return back to the soil or are absorbed by another animal and it becomes part of the incredible food chain and food web and becomes part of the incredible balanced ecosystem which allows our planet to continue to live and flourish. And that's a fascinating phenomenon of nature, how Hashem built the world, that everything gives and takes, and even after death, there is a continuous process of give and take. That's beautiful and it's an incredible insight, but it doesn't belong in Mishnayis Meseches Kinnah. The words of Rabbi Yeshua are extremely significant. And you have to hear those words. They seem poetic, and they are. But they're also halachic. They seem poetic, but they're also halachic. Rabbi Yeshua says, this is what it meant when they said that when the beast is alive... It possesses one sound. When it's dead, its sound becomes sevenfold. Its sound becomes sevenfold? Meh gets increased sevenfold? No. The meh is dead. Meh is dead. The sheep is unfortunately gone, lifeless. The instruments are fashioned from seven organs. But listen to the words of Yeshua. His coil, its coil, its sound is one. It possesses one sound. Its sound, the sound of the chemists, becomes seven. Is this poetry? Is this science? Is this nature? What is the Bishop saying? What do you mean? Its sound becomes seven. No. Its sound is muted forever. The sheep is gone. The beast is gone. The ram is gone. Obviously, talking about a sheep that has horns. So it's the male ram. Because you're turning the, the, the horns into, uh, into, into trumpets, into shifers, into horns. You're taking horns and turning them. So you have to have an animal that has horns. But he doesn't actually say which animal. So you could say it's a ram because a ram is the family of the sheep and the sheep is what the woman brings as a, as a, as a carbon if she's not poor. Okay. 
I'm just responding to a question. Somebody asks, uh, would he have horns? It's not talking about a baby sheep or female. We're talking about a sheep that grows and has horns, obviously, which we call a ram. An ayel, an ayel. What does he mean? Koiloi, Shiva. Koiloi. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe sees in this expression the key word. This is the key word. Let's see inside. Let's see inside. There's a contradiction here. The Shiva Koilas and in Shtei Karnov, Shtei Chatzoitzeres, Vazes and in Koilas from Karnayim, Shoikim, Chuli, Vazabinit Kinshaychas from Koilay from Keves, Vaafo became Omnuk Shahumais Koilay Shiva. There's a paradox here. Because the seven sounds are horns, which become trumpets, hide, which becomes a drum, intestines, which becomes a lyre. Large intestines, which becomes a harp. Pomegranates. Wool, which becomes pomegranates on the robe, which has bells. These are sounds of horns, of thighs, of leg bones, of intestines. These are not the sounds of the sheep itself. Says Rabbi Yeshua, no, this is what they said. When the sheep dies, when the beast dies, when the ram dies, koiloi shiva, alidei misas hakeves, ver bottle der koiloi echod, un severen, naye koilois bekarnayim chuli, aber omru azezena ale koiloi, from them keves. The death of the sheep indeed obliterates that single sound, the voice of the sheep. There are new sounds, very different sounds. You can't compare the sounds of the horns, the sounds of the trumpets, or the sound of the drum, or the sound of the harp, or the lyre, with the sound of the sheep when it's alive. But Amru, Zeusha, Amru, this is what they said. It's all the sound, it's all the voice, it's the coil of the keves. This is what they said. There's a depth in what they said. It's the sheep's sound being manifested, metamorphosized, transformed, filtered, but ultimately manifested, conveyed, expressed through these seven organs, through these seven instruments. Each instrument captures in its own unique way, in its own unique shape, color, flavor, through its own unique characteristics, the koil hakeves. Physically, doesn't mean physically that when you're listening to a trumpet that's made from the horn of a ram, or you're listening to the shoifa and rosh hashanah, you're listening to a sheep crying, or a sheep pleading, or a sheep expressing itself. But on some deep symbolic level, that's what's really what's happening. Because it's ultimately from the sheep. It's all the power of the sheep. It's the qualities, it's the features, it's the characteristics that God embedded in the genetic and physiological makeup of a sheep. It's the koila keves that's coming out, even though the keves is dead. The ram was slaughtered, the ram is gone. The ram has no coil. But this is the koila keves that's coming out through these. I, the sheep is gone, the sheep is dead. There's new sounds, yes. But Kishohumais Koiloi Shiva.
It's kailai. We attribute it back to the sheep. We have to have the wisdom. We have to have the gratitude. We have to be able to remember the source. Remember, rem- remember the progenitor. Remember where it comes from. Shma b'ni Musa These sounds have a mother. These voices have a father. These sounds come from somewhere. Don't take the trumpet for granted. Don't take the harp for granted. Don't take the lyre for granted. Don't take the bells for granted. They come from somewhere. The sheep gave up its life for you to be able to enjoy the harp, for you to be able to enjoy the lyre. Hallelujah, benevel v'chinor. Nevel is a lyre. Chinor is a sharp. You say in the morning, hallelujah. Hallelujah, b'seka shoifer. That's the shoifer. The ram's horn comes from the ram. Hallelujah, b'seka shoifer. Hallelujah, benevel. The lyre comes from the ram. Hallelujah, b'chinor. Benevel v'chinor. The harp, it comes from the lyre. David HaMelech would play, would, 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 would play the music. Would. David HaMelech was a brilliant musician. And the Gemara says in Brachas Dav Gimel, there was a harp on top of the bed of David HaMelech. Midnight, the wind would sway the harp and would begin playing music. David HaMelech would wake up and learn Torah the whole night. Kinar, the Ben Yayada says, is Neir Chavav. It's the Neir of Yudke Vavke. Every musical instrument has such drama, such depth, such beauty. Don't take for granted that the sheep gave up its life. This is the Koila Keves. This is the sound of the keves that's coming out. I know it's a new sound. It went through a major metamorphosis. This is a very, very powerful and also emotional idea we're going to see. Now the Rebbe is dealing with it from a completely halachic perspective, not from an emotional or historical perspective. At the end of the sikh, it's going to all be seen through the lenses of history, through the lens of history, and through the lens of, of, of spiritual vision of Judaism how we view history, how we view the evolution of history from generation to generation, the relationship of a mother to a child, from a father to a child, from grandparents to grandchildren. But here we're talking about the halachic revolutionary statement of Rabbi Yeshua. Koiloi shiva. Zehu sha'amru. Der mitiz mevur der gedel von die karbonas. Here we have the halachic lamdusha definition of all these seven new birds this woman is bringing. True. The reason she has to bring all these new offerings are because of the doubts that were created after she brought the first four offerings. Those four offerings were the real obligations. And now there was a doubt. There was a mess. There was a mess up. The Koyan forgot. The woman forgot. It's like when the sheep dies. What happens? The new sounds coming from the seven instruments are not detached. No, they are a continuum of the original voice, of the original sound of the sheep. These seven new birds, they're much more than the original birds. You had four birds, they now turned into seven birds. They may have turned into eight birds. That's like the sheep. 
The one sound turned into seven sounds, turned into eight sounds. But they're all one sound. They're a continuum of that sound. Yes, it's the rainbow. The sound is expressing itself in different shapes, in different instruments, different they touch different aspects of the human perceptive of human perception and the human taste for music. Some of us love the harp, some of us love the lyre, some of us are infatuated by the drum, some of us like the bell, and some of us appreciate the trumpet. But it's manifestations, it's diverse manifestations of a singular coil. All these carbonus, which came as a result of doubts, are all a continuum of koiloi, of that original sound, that original voice of the sheep. They all have the geder chayva, they all assume the status of the original offering, which was an absolute obligation. In the footnotes here, there's a lot of very heavy footnotes explaining the various sugis in Gemara and in Rambam about how we deal with karbonas that are sveikas, karbonas that we bring because of doubts, because we don't know what's happening. I wish we would have real time for this, but this would be another hour or two getting into the details of the footnotes. I'm just pointing this out for those who are listening to this year and want to go deeper because there's a lot to discuss here from a halachic point of view. Is it really that the sages almost felt that this was just a situation that was so stuck and they found a heter and they found a pasuk to say that you're allowed to bring karbonus even when there is a doubt and it's not called chulim bazara? Or there is actually a unique situation here which Rabbi Yeshua is saying where even though you didn't eat these karbonus chatoyas because they were brought al asafik, but they have a unique status like the original karbonus, like the first sound of the sheep. Because the seven sounds, the seven birds, are really a continuum of the first sound, even though death happened in between, which, repre- which is represented by all the doubts of the kayan and all the doubts of the woman. Hey, asibas ha-karben is nor mitzad ha-sofik, the <laughs> The Lubavitcher Rebbe is now going to branch this off into different parts of halacha. We have here a phenomenon that this carbon was triggered by doubt and yet it's assuming the status of an absolute obligation like the original four birds. In halacha we have a phenomenon where the result becomes far more potent and forceful than the cause. The antecedent, the source, becomes 
a source for something that will gain much more power, potency, and prominence. In halachic terminology, or philosophical terminology, the mesuvav becomes stronger than the siba. Which is what's happening here, because initially the woman had to bring four birds. Those were absolute Torah obligations. No question. That absolute obligation now ultimately resulted in a mess because of doubts and questions and problems and uncertainties and we don't know if I'm obligated, I'm not obligated, how much I'm obligated, which one I'm obligated on, Ayla, Chatos, the first set, the second set. Because of these doubts, these doubts now give birth to seven new birds that I have to bring, the mother has to bring, the Kayan has to bring, the mother has to bring through the Kayan. And these have the status like the first sound of the sheep, like the first voice, like the first four birds. So there's a certainty that triggers and results in a doubt that triggers a new certainty. So he brings here two examples from many. You could bring many, but he brings two. Very interesting examples. Actually, these two examples, the Rebbe would... uh, I heard it from the Rebbe myself a few times in different different conversations, different sikhs. The first is psukah. Very briefly, the Chachamim said, if you have a board, a nesser is like a board, a plank of wood, and the width of it is four tfachim, you're not allowed to use it as schach, even though it's good schach. It's wood, it grows from the ground, it wasn't fashioned into a, into a utensil. So it's, it's, it's good. You can use it for schach. But they had a problem. It's called Xerus Tikr. Xerus Tikr means if it's four tfachim, which means it's four hand breaths, when you look up, it looks like a roof because it's so wide. So then you may come to think, you know, I could just sit under the roof of my house. It's called Xerus Tikr. So they said, don't use that board. But here's the deal. What happens if that board is four tfachim, four hand breaths wide? But the thick of it, the height of it, is only one tefach. It's very thin in its thickness. So you know what you could do? Just turn it over. <laughs> turn it over on its side. And now the breadth of it is very skid. It's very small. It's maybe a half a tefach or a tefach or two tefachim. Right? So the height will be four tefachim. That I don't care about. Could you do that or not? So the halacha is that you're not allowed to do it. Why not? Why not? This is a discussion in Sukkah Daf Yedalad in Rambam El Chesukah in Shulchan Aruch Tafresh Chavtes. You see it in the footnotes, 30, footnote 33, footnote 34. He brings all the sources in the footnote. Why not? The answer is very interestingly. Even though the reason why these boards are not used in Sukkah is because we're afraid that somebody's going to compare it to a roof. But once the Chachamim said that these boards are puzzled, they're disqualified, they become essentially puzzled. And therefore, even if you turn them around in a different direction and the original factor and reason is gone, but because this board became essentially disqualified for Schach, it's disqualified under all circumstances. It's called Keshpudin Shalmatches. It becomes like a metal pole. And a metal pole cannot be used for Schach. Metals can't be used for Schach. You have to use something that grows from the ground and also is not fashioned into a utensil which is susceptible to tumor. So a metal stick, a metal pole, a metal uh, stave cannot be used as schach. No difference which direction. Even though the chachamim prohibited this board. Why? Because it's wide fort fachim and it looks like a roof. And in this case, it doesn't look like a roof. But when they said it's possible, what happens? They said it is possible. So the psul now 
becomes, so to speak, part of the very reality of the board. This board is disqualified for schach. It's psul atzmi. It's like innately not good. It's not just if it's in this direction or that direction. So therefore, even if there's no gzeris tikra, even though right now you turn it on its side, so the width is only one tefach, the thick is now four tefachim, it's still not good. It's possible. What's the concept here? This is a very similar concept. Because why did they make it possible? What made it possible? A specific gzeir, gzeris tikra. Right? Now in this situation, there's no gzeris tikra. But the result of gzeris tikra becomes more powerful than gzeris tikra. In other words, if it will only remain possible because of gzeris tikra, the psul only had to be if you put it on top of your sukkah in a way that it's covered. It covers fort fachim of your sukkah. But you didn't do it that way. So even though the source, the siba, the reason, the reason, the progenitor, what triggered the psul, what created the psul was gzeris tikra, which is a specific concern. The result of it becomes more powerful than gzeris tikra. How do I know? Because even in a situation where there's no gzeris tikra, it's still possible. It's a psul atzmi. So the result is more powerful than the siba. Because the result becomes more potent and it's possible even when there's no Xerus Tikra. Another example. Beis. Divriyach sam soifra yiduyim benegei yom tov shenish al chag ha-shvuas. Ez chamur fun ande de yom tov shenish al goliyas. Val that is by ba nit mitzat sofik vi ande de yom em tovim na rar hatan tich ha-koyach shol vaday. Hayyayus am chag ha-shvuas is kemon de gimem ki asafi vi bais tvesach vasukas valan kvises yom chamishim loimen. Undos was mamach chuas vetag is blois shaloy lach like bimayadais. he passed away 1831. I'm just saying that parenthetically. What's the story? Some soifer got a question. There was somebody who was very ill. It was the second day of Shavuos. And he had a wife. They never had children. And he was afraid that if he dies on the second day of Shavuos, she's going to need Yibu. She's going to have to get married. Many of you are learning Masech Sivama. She'd have to get married to his brother. The Yavim was far away. So it may not be easy to get chalitza. She may remain an aguna. She won't be able to marry another man. So he wanted to give a get on the second day of Shavuos, but you have to sign a get. You're not allowed to write on Yom Tif. So there was a particular rabbi who tried to find the leniency to do it because it's the second day of Yom Tif and in order to help this woman in case the husband dies. There was another rabbi who opposed it vehemently and he felt maybe that he was wrong. And he wrote a letter to the Chsam Seifer. The Chsam Seifer writes a long letter. It's a very, very interesting letter. It's a classic letter, like many letters of the Chsam Seifer. 
But at the end, he adds one point about Shavuos, literally in the last few lines, but somehow the Rebbe zoomed into that. And he says there's something about Shavuos that's unique. Why do we have two days of Yom Tif? And the answer is because in the times of the second base, Hamidr used to send out messengers to tell everybody when Rish Chaydish is, because Rish Chaydish could be either on day 30, right? You have 29 days, and then day 30 becomes the new, the, the new month, or Rish Chaydish could be day one. So you have 29, 30, and then day one is Rish Chaydish, and then Pesach would be a day later. So they used to send out messengers to tell the crowd, the Jews all over the diaspora, when Pesach is, when Sukkot is. Now, some places lived far away from Eretz Yisrael, so they didn't get the message. So they had to do Pesach two days, because they weren't sure that Pesach started a day earlier, if Rish was a day earlier, that Pesach started a day later. The same is true with Sukkot. By Shavuos, there was never a problem. Why? Because Shavuos is not based on the day of a month. Shavuos is based on 50 days since the counting of Daimer. You count 49 days, and the 50th day you celebrate Shavuos. So Shavuos essentially could be Hay Sivan, Vav Sivan, Zion Sivan. By the time Rish Chodesh Sivan came around, by the time Eir came around, every Jew knew when Pesach was. So they just count 49 days from the second day of Pesach, and the 50th day is Shavuos. So you don't have to know when Rish Chodesh Sivan was to know when Shavuos is. So essentially nobody should celebrate two days of Shavuos. Everybody, even in the diaspora, should celebrate one day of Shavuos. So why do we have two days of Shavuos? The answer is, The Rambam says in Hilchas Kiddush HaChodesh chapter 3, the Chazal didn't want to distinguish between the three holidays. Pesach in America would be two days. Sukkot would be two days in the beginning and at the end. And Shavuos would be one day. They said, you know what, let's keep it uniform. So Shavuos will also be two days. So the Chsam Seifer says, this means that in many ways, Shavuos is more stringent. The second day of Shavuos is more stringent than the second day of Pesach, and the second day of Sukkot, and Simchas Torah, the last day of Sukkot, and the last day of Pesach. Why? By Pesach and Sukkot, there's a doubt. Maybe it's Yom Tov, maybe it's not. And because that doubt, the Jews kept two days. And today also, Mineg Aviseinu Biyadeinu, we keep that tradition, even though today we have a calendar, we don't need these, we don't have the problem. But Shavuos, even in ancient times, why was Shavuos created? Not because there was a doubt. The second day wasn't a doubt. We know for sure it's not Shavuos. The reason is not to distinguish between other holidays. In other words, it's not because of a doubt. It's because of a vadai. And Chavim say, there's no doubt. We know it's not Shavuos. <laughs> it's a vadai. In order not to distinguish between Shavuos and other holidays, we are establishing that the second day of Shavuos should be kept as a Yom Tif. says it has a koyach, a vadai, not of Suffolk, because there was never a Suffolk by Shavuos. It's the Chachamim said initially, it's not because you don't know you're in limbos. 50, yeah, 50 not. So we don't take chances. No, Shavuos, we don't have to not take chances. It's not Shavuos. So why is it Shavuos? Because the Chachamim said, we're making a Yom Tif. Like Hanukkah, like Purim, a Yom Tif. We're making a Yom Tif. So we have here an interesting phenomenon. The core, the reason we celebrate the second day of Shavuos is because of Pesach and Sukkot. And why do we celebrate the second day of Pesach and Sukkot? Because of a doubt. And that's what triggers, that's what creates, that's what generates the second day of Shavuos. But once the student, Shavuos is the offspring, Shavuos is the result, but the result becomes more powerful than the source. Because Shavuos has something that Pesach and Sukkot doesn't have. It has the toikif, it has the potency of vada, of certainty. Here we have examples how that which is born from the cause, from the source, gains 
power and forcefulness that doesn't exist in the source. And that's the concept that we have here in this carbon. These seven birds were all born out of doubt, out of Suffolk, out of a mess, out of a situation that cripples us. It's because we don't know, we're confused. And yet the confusion, like the death of the sheep, doesn't just interrupt the process. It creates a new identity that goes back to the original obligation. And that original obligation was an absolute certainty so that the result is more powerful than the source. The Chavra understand, you typhus. I'll give an example from another, another realm, the realm of psychology. And the reason it's like that in psychology and in the world of the soul, in the world of the mind, it's because it's like that in our own world. It's like that in Torah. Torah is the blueprint for the world. I've heard this from so many people, and especially from mental health professionals. There are often things that happen in people's lives that are very disturbing and sometimes extremely, extremely devastating. And yet, that's the cause. The result of what happens sometimes becomes much more destructive than the cause of what triggered the entire trauma. So for example, people sometimes experience a trauma. They experience an event that is very disturbing that compromises their their brain's functioning powers, that compromises their self-conceptualization, the way they see themselves. And yet that in itself may not be the most devastating factor. What becomes the really devastating factor is the way the original trauma is processed by the person. The result becomes much more toxic than the cause. Last Shabbos, I was at a recovery Shabbos in Miami. There were around 800 people in recovery, 900 people in recovery. Friday night, I sat up a whole night with a group of people in recovery, amazing people. And there was a young man who shared with me how he was violated for five years. Five years he was violated, he was abused. And he shared with me the details, it's not for now, obviously. And he looks at me, and with tears in his eyes, he says, and you know what the worst thing was? When I finally got the courage to tell my father what happened, he told me, it's not true. I don't believe a word you say. So that was far worse than the abuse. You could cry when you hear it. Because he told me that was the abuse happening all over again, but much worse. Because it was happening by the person who was supposed to protect me. So you see what happens we go through stuff. That's the Siba. They all cause something. And, and it's powerful. And it's sometimes, you have it in the positive, you have it in the negative. But the Mesuvav, what, what happens as a result of that, that's where the biggest power sometimes lay. The way I processed it. Not what happened, happened. But what I'm telling myself till today. Trauma is not what happened. Trauma is what's happening right now in my body. It's stuck in my body. How did I process it then? How do I process it today? How did the people around me process it? What was the message I got from the people when I shared with them this story? 
how it was dealt with by my closest circle. That's the Mesuvav. And sometimes, tragically, the Mesuvav gains this power, this ferocious power, in the positive or the negative, that the original story doesn't have. The reason it's like that in psychology is because like, it's like that in the soul. It's because it's like that in Torah. And that's what we're learning here. There's the original voice. There's the original sound. And then there's the seven sounds. And those seven sounds all come from that original sound. And in the middle there was a death. It should have weakened it. No. Sometimes the Mesuvav is much stronger than the Sibba. You have to be aware of these things. We have to be aware of the power of the result. You know, the Shadchan, if you want a cute, a cute way of saying it, the Shadchan creates the Shidduch. But hopefully the relationship becomes much deeper than what the Shadchan created. <laughs> True, without the matchmaker, the Chassan and the Kala would have never met. But the result of it gains a whole new level of relationship and depth that the Shadchan couldn't have. Because he brings out what's inside of you. A teacher may produce a student and may raise the student and mentor the student and guide and educate the student. But sometimes the student grows far beyond the imagination of the teacher. Yes, it was all created by the cause, by the source. But sometimes the result, ah, it reaches a whole different level. And the Rebbe gives you the two examples of sukkah and the example of shvuas dechsam soifer, which brings us back to the example of the karbonis that the mother has to bring. We now go to the next step. We go to the next step. The next step is Seif Vav. Seif Vav, I'm going to say outside because I want to be able to finish the Sikha and the hour is late. And there's a lot here. So even though Seif Vav we could sit on for an hour or two hours, it's a Lebedika Seif but I'm going to say it outside. You could learn it inside. I hope you learn it inside. I'm going to say it outside. Based on all this, we'll now understand that there's also the other side of it. Rabbi Yeshua is not just explaining the karbonos of the mother. He's also explaining the uniqueness of the sheep that died. As we said, the Mishnah is not here to explain interesting natural phenomena about how you make instruments, even though it's amazing. And what happens when the ram dies? He's also explaining a halachic idea. And one of them may be the following scenario, fascinating scenario. And this is what the Lubavitch Rebbe explains. There's a halacha. It's discussed at length in the Sechta Avoidizara, Daf Memvov, Daf Memzayin. It's discussed in Rambam. In Hilchis Isure Mizbeach, it's discussed. It's a mission in Tmurid Avchavches. Here's the issue. If somebody worships something as a deity, as a god, it becomes forbidden to benefit from. But what happens if it's something that a person doesn't affect? It's something that's natural and you didn't change it around. It's not like a statue that you build. You build, you sculpture a statue and you worship it. Let's say you decide to worship an animal. Yeah. There's a sheep, you know, like the Hindus, the old ancient Egyptians. You have a sheep, and you worship the sheep. You bow down to the sheep. You believe for whatever reason that your sheep is God. <laughs> What's the halacha? The halacha is that the sheep does not become forbidden to eat or forbidden to have a gnaw because it's a natural sheep. You didn't change, actually, the sheep. It's not like you slaughtered your sheep for Avodah or You did not. The sheep is alive. You just worship it. 
So you actually don't manipulate the sheep because you can't. It's a natural phenomenon that God created and you can't change it unless you physically change it around. And therefore, if a Jew takes this sheep and slaughters it, for example, you're allowed to eat it. It's mutabana. You're not allowed to bring this sheep as a carbon. We learn out from Sukkim that when it comes to Gavai, when it comes to the Beis HaMikdash, a sheep that was worshipped, even though it's alive, it's Pasalim as Bayach. You're not allowed to use it for the altar. Now here's an interesting question that the Gemara raises in Avodah Zara Daf Memvav. The question is as follows. If somebody worships the sheep, but then the sheep goes through a major transformation, does it revoke the original status of the fact that it was used for idolatry and you're not allowed to use it in the Beis HaMikdash? Or, the transformation doesn't transform the original status that this was used for Avedizar. An example, Rami Bar says, let's say somebody worships stalks of wheat. They didn't touch it, they just worshipped it. I don't know why, but a person does that. Now you take this wheat, and you harvest the wheat, and you extract the kernels, and you grind the kernels into flour, and you want to use this flour as a carbon mincha. Are you allowed to or not? Interesting question. Another example, let's say somebody bows down to an animal. Can you use its wool to make tcheles for the garments of the Kain Gadol? Can you use the horns of a bull to make trumpets in the Beis HaMikdash? Can you use the thighs of the animal to make flutes to use for the concerts in the Beis HaMikdash? Can you use the intestines of the animal to make and weave strings for the harp? Very interesting question. Yes, Wow. What's the question? Why is this a question? The Gemara actually <laughs> answers teku. Some of these questions is teku. They're not sure about it. We'll soon see what the halach is. What's the question? The question is as follows. Is it the original sheep or it's not the original sheep? It's a fascinating question. And that's exactly what Rabbi Yeshua is addressing. The Lubavitcher Rabbi Yeshua is not addressing just a sheep and music and a cute little statement that somebody made about a living sheep and a dead sheep. No! He's addressing a very serious question that's essential to halacha. What's the problem? The problem is the sheep, the ram is dead. You worship the sheep, you worship the bull, you worship an ox, okay? Now it's dead. It's a new reality. You took the horns of the ox or the horns of the ram and you turned it into a trumpet for the Mesa Mikdash. Is this considered a trumpet that was worshipped? It comes from the ox that was worshipped. It comes from the ram that was worshipped. Are you allowed to use it or not? We learn out from the Torah, you can't use this animal as a carbon. I get it. But what happens if it goes through a transformation? You take the wool and you turn it into trellis. You take a part of the animal, you turn it into a musical instrument. Can you use it in the base Hamikdash? First of all, the animal is dead. Second of all, you completely transform the organ from an intestine. You made a drum, you made a lyre, you made a harp, you made from the horns a trumpet. It's not... It's not any more part of a holistic animal. It's completely self-contained. And it's not even an organ. It's a musical instrument. Most people wouldn't even know if they didn't know how it was made, that it was made from an organ. Is it mutter or is it asr? And the halacha is that it is forbidden. It's forbidden. That's the halacha. And that's what Rabbi Yeshua is saying. Rabbi Yeshua is actually explaining something in halacha. Even though the trumpets made from the horns, and even though the strings of the lyre and the harp made from the intestines comes from a dead ram, and it's now separated from the original ram, and it's not just separated, it went through a metamorphosis and a transformation, and the seven sounds are not the original sound of a sheep, 
It's not even the original sound of a thigh bone or of hide. It's a whole new sound. It's a trumpet. It's a flute. It's a drum. It's a lyre. It's a harp. It's not anymore the sound of the organs of the sheep or of the mouth of the sheep. Rabbi Yeshua says, No, koiloi shiva. Koiloi shiva. Even as it's seven different sounds. Halachically, the Torah sees it as koiloi. I can still hear the sheep. And therefore, because you worship this sheep for Avodah Zarah, this transformation is ineffective and you can't use it for the base HaMikdash. As I said, you can use the sheep for mundane purposes. And that's the halacha in Rambam, Yisurim, Yisbeach, Perik, Dalet, in Me'iri, Mesech, Avodah Zarah, even though the Gemara has taken, the Kesef Mishnah discusses this. So Rabbi Yeshua here intimated the halacha, even though in Gemara it's teku. Fascinating. So you'll say, so why didn't the Gemara give an answer? It's a good question. So the Gemara should have had an answer. Why does the Gemara say teku? It could be the Gemara understood that Tanoim are arguing about it. But here in Maseches Kinim, this is the view of Rabbi Yeshua. But it goes much deeper. Because you could explain this in two ways. You could say, that the reason the trumpets are disqualified, the reason that the drum or the flute or the lyre or harp is disqualified is because it ultimately comes from a ram that was worshipped. And therefore, that prohibition remains. But you can't say that they are defined as Avoidazara. They come from something that was worshipped, and therefore we say, don't use it. Or maybe, no, maybe it still has the same status like the original sheep, which was disqualified for the Mizbeach. It's called Avodah Zarah. And that's what we see from the Rambam. The Rambam's language in Hilchis Yisuri Mizbeach is, he quotes it in 50, footnote 50, that if somebody bows down to an animal, just as the animal is disqualified for the altar, the wool is disqualified for the Big Day Kohuna, the horns are disqualified for trumpets, Hakol Posel. When the Rambam uses the word Keshem Kach, Keshem Shenif Solalem Isbech, Kach Tzemer Shal Posel Lebik Dekuna, Vekarneh Psolon Lechatzoyzos Hakol Posel. The Keshem Kach. The Rambam is trying to say something. He could have just said, "You're not allowed to use the wool. You're not allowed to use the horns." The Rambam is trying to say it's the same gather like the original animal, just like the original animal is disqualified for the Mizbech because it was worshipped as an idolatry, so you can't use it for a carbon for Hashem. So the same is true when you want to use the wool for Big Day Kahuna and you want to use the horns for trumpets and you want to use the hide for a drum and you want to use the intestines for the thighs for flutes and the intestines for a lyre and a harp. It has the same gather. It's the gather of Avedah Zarah. And the difference would be that the Isur is an Isur Dairais. It's not just an Isur Dairabona. According to the first version, it's a new reality. Just the rabbis say, since it comes from this sheep, don't use it. According to the second, or, or according to the second way of learning it, it's prohibited minatayra. It's a biblical prohibition because this was worshipped, even though now it's a trumpet. This is Rabbi Yeshua's chiddush. The halacha in the Mishnah by Kinim explains to me what they said. Who's they? They is not just some quotable quoter in the world. They represents also the Hashkofa of the Chachamim. That just, and th- that they said that the, 
the sheep, when it's alive, it has one voice, one sound. And when it dies, it's the same sound manifested in seven different sounds. It's the same sound. It's the same keves. And therefore, if it was used for Avoidazara, the Khalilin and the Beis Hamikdosh have a gedra for Avoidazara. The Hatayda says you're not allowed to use them. And that's the Chidush of the Rambam. And Hilchis Hisudim is Be'ach Peirik Dalet. Peirik Dalet. Halachazai. And this needs an explanation, and that's the explanation. Just like by Kinnim, even though there were triggered obligation was a Suffolk, the woman and the Koyan don't know what happened. Nonetheless, the new obligations, the new seven birds, have the same status as the original four birds. It's the same voice like the original voice, like the original sound of the sheep. The same is true when the sheep is used for Avodah even though the horns and the thighs and the intestines went through a major metamorphosis and they became a new entity. And you can't, you can't say that they should be disqualified for the altar. Like originally, originally they were part of a sheep that was worshipped. They're not part of this sheep anymore. First of all, the sheep is dead. Second of all, they were detached from the sheep. Third of all, they went through a transformation. You don't even recognize the connection. We say, Shiva. It's the same coil, it's the same keves expressed in seven different instruments. Or like we said before by sukkah, those boards that are wide for tfachim have a psul atzmi. They essentially become disqualified for the sukkah, not just because gzeres tikra. It becomes an innate quality. Each one of these organs becomes essentially avodah It has a psul atzmi. And therefore, even now when it was detached, it continues that very, it, it maintains and retains that very same, same status. It's like the sukkah, we say, it became metal. They became like, the name of Avodah Nevot, and the Israel in the Beis Hamikdash becomes the very status of the horns, and the thighs, and the flutes, and the, the thighs, and the intestines. Why? That's the Chiddush of Koile Shiva. You could say the source is the sheep. I'm just a weak copy of it and now I'm detached. No, you're a direct continuum of it. That's what we see by Kinnim. And here too, the Isra of Avedazara, it becomes part of their very identity. And therefore you can't use it in the Beis HaMikdosh, even Minhatayra. Now we'll understand why the Mishnah has to talk about the Ami Ha'aretz and the Zikni Torah. This is Siv Zion. We have here a problem. <laughs> What's the problem? The story of the sheep, alive or dead, is not very similar to the story of the mother giving birth and bringing Karbonus. Why? By the sheep, it's a one-time event. The sheep was alive and it died. Death is a momentary experience. In the story of the birds, it was a gradual process. And there's many different scenarios. The first case is the Kayin didn't know what the woman wanted and he offered two birds on top, two birds on the bottom. So she has to bring one more bird. Then there's another story 
which makes her bring two more birds. Another story, which makes her bring three, four, five, six, until we reach seven or eight. In other words, there's many, many different scenarios. It's different. By the sheep, the transformation is in a moment. Boom! Sheep is dead. From one, you got seven. By the woman, it doesn't happen that way. It's not like she forgot, the Kayan forgot, seven birds. No, no, no. First is one, then is two, then is three, then is four, then is five, then is six, then is seven. So the example doesn't mamish match up. It's a good example, generally speaking, because the sheep went through a transformation from life to death, and yet the sounds increased sevenfold, just like here. There was a problem and a doubt and a mess, and the offerings increase all the way to number seven. But you can't compare it because here there's so many levels. From You get from one to seven, takes a long time. There's seven there's different scenarios in the Mishnah. So the Mishnah says, let me bring another example. Reb Shemir ben Akashi says, take a look at elderly people who are amiharets, who are completely ignorant. They did not spend their life with Torah. The older they get, the more confused they get. Zikne Torah calls man. The older they get, the more settled they become. This is not something that happens in one moment. You don't get old in a single instant. It's not like death. First sheep is alive, the sheep is dead. This is a process. Aging is a process. It doesn't happen in a moment. Calls man. It's a process. And it's gradual. A person gets older. A person gets weaker. So that's a much more accurate example in this sense that as we get older, our bodies change, our brains change, and therefore our level of perceptiveness, our mental capacity, our intellectual capacity, our cerebral capacities, they all go through a transformation. And that's why the Mishnah has to first speak about Ziknei Ameyaretz before Ziknei Tabedei Chachamim. Because Yav Shem Ben Akash is telling us something. He's telling us when people get old, their bodies change, their brains change. That's why the Amayaretz, the older they get, the weaker they get, including in their mental capacity. The Talmud Chacham also goes through this change. He also gets older. She also gets older. And naturally, the brain should get weaker and weaker, as we see by Zikna Amayaretz. They're just responding to the natural process of aging. And yet, we see a unique phenomenon, that by a Talmud Chacham, the older they get, the wiser they get, the deeper they get the more settled they become. What happens? You would think, they're Talmudic Chachamim. So maybe spear them the terrible aging process. Let their intellectual capacity remain intact. Unlike the Zikne Ami Ha'aretz, right? Who become confused. But here we say something much deeper than that. It's not just the aging process doesn't affect their ability to learn. On the contrary, the aging process increases their ability to learn even more when they were young. Ah, here we have a beautiful manifestation and illustration to the very concept of kinim, of these karbonas the woman was bringing. As long as they get older, it's not a one-time event. It's just like by the woman. You didn't get from one to seven like this. It's a process. Every day I get a little older. I get a little weaker. This stops functioning a little bit. This stops functioning a little bit. And the mind becomes weaker. And that's what Dama Aretz is experiencing. Kol zman shemaskinim. The two words here, here are key words. Kol zman, as long as they get older. It's a concept, it's a process that is ongoing gradually. And the Talmud Chacham also experiences this. And with each physical decline, there's a certain spiritual ascent. 
with each physical decline, the brain becomes sharper, more mature, more deep, more authentic. And this is also relevant halachically. It's not just an interesting statement because the Sanhedrin needs to have Bali Zikna, people of great wisdom. So when you see the greater wisdom, you're more equipped to be in the Sanhedrin, as he discusses in the footnotes. It's just like by the Kinnam. With every descent, with every doubt, with every mess that should create a big, more havoc, there's more karbonis, more obligations. You see, it's like Ziknei Talmidei Chachamim. The older you get, with each descent, every day, he should get weaker and weaker. No, his mind gets stronger and stronger. But in order to understand this, you first have to talk about Ziknei Amayaretz. Because you have to speak about the decline. What's supposed to happen here is, there is more decline and more decline. Just like with the story of the woman. There is more doubts and more doubts and more doubts. And what do we see by the Amayaretz? There is more decline and more decline and more decline. And yet what happens by the Talmud Chachem? The exact opposite. The contrast with the Amaretz allows us to understand what is happening here. It allows us to understand the process of how things are getting worse and worse. And we would expect the Talmud Chachem should at least remain intact, which would be amazing. We say, no, he becomes more powerful in his learning and more strong in his learning. And you see it. You see it with real Talmud Chachamim. The older they get... There's a unique light that comes from their, from their face, from their mind, from their words. You, the older they get, you see. The Rebbe used to say, Mevet altimitatog, vertmen, mevet altimitatog, vertmen kliger mitatog, vertmen flimer mitatog. You become older one day, you become smarter and wiser, and you become more committed, you become more conscious of the divine. A Talmud Chachem, whose life is dedicated to Torah, to truth, to godliness, to holiness, even in the aging process, they may physically become weaker and you can see it, but there's something emotionally and spiritually and intellectually that just becomes stronger and more powerful. I think we can all experience this when you see a real Talmud Chachem. It's not just their physical aging doesn't affect their mental capacity. That's also true. And a lot of research today about how when you dedicate your life to learning and you're part of a community of learning and you challenge yourself to learn and teach, it also helps simply, it helps also for for longevity. It's a very interesting research that I saw in recent years that was done around this. But that's that's all part of this. But that's, that's exactly the point. So that's what he has to bring out, that calls man skinim. There is dissent, there is dissent. It's not just ziknei talmidei Talk about ziknei amaharetz. Yes, you have to bring out natural phenomenon. You're supposed to be losing your mind. More doubts. You forget things. The woman forgets. The kayan forgets. The old man forgets. The old woman forgets. Everybody's forgetting things. And yet what happens from all of her forgetfulness? She brings seven new carbonis. And the seven new carbonis are as powerful as the original carbonis. Like the Zikni Talmud Chacham, he's getting older. He's getting more forgetful. No, there's more Torah, there's more Kedusha, there's more carbonis, there's more closeness, there's more Yerushamaya. Of course, the first example brings out certain ex- ideas that the second example doesn't bring out. That's where Yeshua first brings out the sheep situation, because that brings out, of course, the whole idea of the seven and the eight, which you don't have with Zikrei Tamid HaChamim. It also brings out the idea that it's the same coil, but the Zikrei Amayaretz brings out this other facet, and that's where Yeshua Ben Akashia adds this aspect. We now come to the last piece of the Sikhna. This is Sif Ches, and 
This concludes the whole conversation. The Sikha now goes from the Nigla to the Nister, from the Halachic to the Hashkafic, from the practical components of Jewish law to the exploration of the spiritual, emotional, psychological, and historical deeper dimensions that are being conveyed here in the Mishnah. And this is Sivches. I'm going to read this inside. Ches. Der bir b'pnimi senyanam in der bir ha-shaychus Rabbi Yeshua davke v'stamkinim Rabbi Yeshua. Why Rabbi Yeshua? And what's the explanation on a deeper level? And the Gemara says in Zvachim Samach Zayin that the Mishnah in Kinim, unless a name is specified, it comes from Rabbi Yeshua. So this is Rabbi Yeshua's, Rabbi Yeshua's baby, so to speak. Seder Kachem Vais Bechlalif Eden was an Agoy Kaddish. Oich di Chulin Zayre is a Chelik from Kachem. Oich Mesechte Chulin is a Chelik from Seder Kachem. Wow. Seder Kachem is the section of Shas of Mishnah that deals with Karbonus holiness. There's a tractate called Chulin, which means the mundane, which deals with regular animals that we eat on a daily basis. They're not offering the Beis HaMikdash. Comes the Rebbe and says, Where's Mesech the Chulin? It's in Seder Kachem. That's a Jew. Every Jew is part of Goy Kaddish. We're a holy people. The Chulin of a Jew is also Kachem. Chulin is also a Din in Kachem. Mesech the Chulin of your life is part of Kachem. There's no Chulin that's divorced from Kachem. By a Jew, everything is Kedusha. Seder Kachim captures the mission statement of Am Yisrael, Goy Kaddish. We are a holy, sacred people. We are sensitive to holiness. We are holy. Our job is to reveal the holiness, to cultivate a life of holiness, and to fill the world with holiness, beginning with our hearts, our brains, our homes, our families, our communities. And even the Chulim, every one of our lives has chulin, it has a lot of mundaneness, mundane parts. It's all part of kachim. It's all part of kedusha. There's no separateness. Um besiyum seder kachim. At the end of kachim, is memavai dem inyan hayo yeledes vas vaisiv de geula fun yidin ki yudu as der gaulus as nimshali ibu de geula le leidav yis eshtete nevuas ha geula chola gam yoldat siyoin esbonau. As we come to the conclusion of kachim, it's the conclusion of the Jewish journey of filling the world with holiness. We come to the last theme of Kachem, a woman who gives birth to a baby or babies, which represents redemptiveness. Exile is compared to pregnancy, redemptiveness, redemption is compared to birth, as the Navua compares Geula to the mother giving birth. By Yitzhiya Mitzrayim as well, Yecheskel chapter 16, we say it in the Haggadah, the Exodus of Egypt was compared to birth, and the future Geula is compared to birth. Is Rabbi Yeshua Messiah, the Chosim of Mavayer, via Zoe Haltmanois Bismanagolos, Umenkumtsu, Zum Inyan Ayeledes Gula, Zeu Shomruk Shochai Kolechud Shomes Kolechiv, Estate Medrish, Adreyonis Omar Le Rabbi Yehoshua, Gdoilo Hakeves Hoy Medes Benchivim Zaevim, Omar Le Godel, who are Roya Shamatsilo, for Shomra Vishavim Lafana, for save them as the Shaila. Be Shlame of Edens and Namatsafun Keves Chai, for Zbichlal, it does Venice's Chai, in Eden the Madregi from the Ovis of Rom, it's like Yakov is moving with Soroya Shomra, the Eden was and Madregis Keves Chai, Bashar Sobekishahumes, the Madregis from the Ovis is Nit Mayor Begilian as Venice. In 
Oivdem zakt Rabbi Yeshua kashahum meis kailei shiva. um Punkt wie bei der Aufwärts ist gewendet, der Keule echot lavinu Shabbat Shemayim, als er das euch in der alle sieben besondere Keule, als wie sie stehen, als sieben Chalukim Adreges in der Welt des Hashem, ist bei sie doin, sie Metzies, der Keule echot lavinu Shabbat Shemayim. In jederen von der Shiva Keule ist da der Akel Kel Yaakov, was peilt, als ein jede Esof Scheltes, Haroi Shemra, und das ist der Bishon Madrishon, Meisköle Shiva, das, was alle Shiva Chilukim Adreges im Chaim Vekayamim, Kommt das durch schon meis, was nischanen alle meis im Elo Havis. Ah. Let me explain. Rabbi Yeshua at the end of Kachim tells us, how do we endure through exile? And how do we reach birth? How do we go through the labor pains and bring out Geula? And that's what he finishes with. So the whole Kachim is the journey of Klal Yisrael to Kedusha. To fill our lives, to fill the world with Kedusha. Even our Chulin is also Kachim. Ah. At the end comes the birth. That's Meseches Kinem. But in birth there can be confusion. That's Kinem. And Rabbi Yeshua, who lived through the Beis HaMikdash, lived through Galas, but sang, he was the Levi. He teaches us how to endure. What's the secret of Jewish history? How do we endure Galas? And how do we come to the birth? It's interesting. The Gemara says, as I said, Rabbi Yeshua was the great fierce debater against the Gentiles. He's the one who kept up the Jewish pride, the Jewish dignity. He didn't let the Jews surrender to mediocrity, surrender to depression, surrender to fear, surrender to spinelessness. He was ready to debate everybody and show Torah's MS and God is true and mitzvahs are true and Yiddishkeit is true and Matan Torah is true. If you ever learned the Sugim, Chaitis is debates with the sages of Athens. They're trying to delegitimize Judaism, delegitimize Torah. You learned the Marshal over there, the Maharal's explanation the Vilna Gon wrote a safer on those debates. Uh, Reb Nachman of Brest of Ketusha Slevi, Celebedic and Freilich, but other Svarim, they bring out the depth of those debates between Rabbi Yeshua. This is Rabbi Yeshua. And he's the one who finally tells us how to get to the end of Kachim. Stam Kinim, Rabbi Yeshua. And for this, the Lubavitcher Rebbe brings a medrash, and you see how everything is connected. This is a medrash Rabbah in Megillus Esther, and Tanchuma told us, Adrian, was one of the most brutal emperors of Rome, maybe the most brutal, one of the most brutal emperors of Rome. He's the one who crushed the Bar Kochva revolt, Adrianus. Some people say it wasn't Adrian, Adrianus is somebody else, but his Hebrew name is Adrianus. He was one of the Roman emperors. He once tells Rabbi Yeshua, the Jewish people are sheep, and they're surrounded by 70 wolves. 70 wolves. And he says, wow, this sheep is pretty impressive. It's surviving in the midst of 70 wolves that are trying to devour it. That's what Adrianus tells Rabbi Yeshua. You know what he says? He says, this sheep has a great shepherd and the shepherd protects it and saves it and ultimately foils the schemes of all the wolves and breaks them down, doesn't allow them to devour the sheep. So Rabbi Yeshua is the one who's telling us which sheep he's talking about. He's talking about the sheep of Klal Yisrael. He's talking about this one innocent, beautiful, pure sheep 
this sheep that the woman has to give as a carbon, the first carbon, as an oila. This sheep is protected by the shepherd. This is what Rabbi Yeshua says. So the Rebbe now puts it all together. He says, sometimes the sheep is alive. The Jewish people, Klaisol, is alive. What does it mean we're alive? We're saturated with the consciousness of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, the people who brought monotheism into the world, the founding fathers of Judaism. And then, of course, the shepherd protects it, just like the shepherd protected Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov and promised them eternal protection because the Jews are one with their fathers and mothers. We are a living sheep. And remember, our patriarchs were shepherds. They all dealt with sheep. Avram was a shepherd. Yitzchak was a shepherd. Yaakov was a shepherd. Avram Avinu was, brought Yitzchak as a substitute for the sheep. Hasela Oila. Yaakov worked for years and years and years with sheep. When we are connected to them, when we are alive, the shepherd protects us. But then comes a situation in history, the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, and it looks like the sheep is dead. You don't see the vitality of the sheep. You don't see the consciousness of the Avais being manifested in a revealed way in the sheep. In fact, when you listen to the sounds coming from the sheep, you hear different sounds. You don't hear that original sound, that original voice of the one sheep. You don't hear that koiloi echad, that consciousness of oneness, that singular koil of Hashem HaShma Yisrael. The echad, the achdos, the koiloi echad, the consciousness of infinity, the consciousness of oneness. First of all, you see a nation that's splintered. A nation that has so many different sounds and so many different voices. Koiloi shiva. We know there's seven branches of the Menorah. We're split up into seven different branches. Ah, you might think, where's the shepherd? Where's the shepherd? Comes Rabbi Yeshua and says, don't make that mistake. You think the sheep died? You think that original sound is gone? You think you can't hear anymore the music of Avram, Mitzvah, and Yaakov? shiva. So the Zel Bekoil, you remember what we spoke about earlier in the Shir, halachically? It's the same coil, don't be deceived. Don't forget that it's all from the sheep. All the different coilers, all the different sounds. It's one coil of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. It's not different coilers. Yes, it's manifested in different ways. You have flutes. You have people who sing on the flute. And you have drummers in Klal Yisrael. And you have violinists, and you have those who play on the harp, and those who play on the cello, and those who play on the lyre, and those who ring the bells, and they walk around with the bells, and those who blow the trumpets, and those who blow the shoifer. It's one coil. It's expressed, it's filtered, it's channeled through different prisms, it's refracted through different colors of the rainbow but it's coming from one sun, from one source of light. And on this, there's a medrash, it says in Tehillim, Gefen Mimitzrayim Tasiya. You took out the vine from Egypt. The Jews are called the vine. So the medrash says, when you look at a vine, you wrap the clusters of grapes around dead trees. You take, you take, uh, you take trees that are dead or dead wood, and you need them to hold up the vines. So he says, the Jews 
are sustained by the dead trees, the Ovois. When the Rebbe said over this Medrash at the Fabrengen, he said, it's an astounding language in the Medrash to call the Ovois Eitzimesim, dead trees. But that's what the Medrash means. What the Medrash means is that physically they passed away and yet we are sustained by them. We lean on them. We continue them. Don't get deceived by Jewish diversity. Don't get deceived by the fact that there's so many different types of Jews. This is vintage Lubavitcher Rebbe. Don't get deceived by the fact that there's so many different types of people. Don't get deceived by all the voices inside of you. Right? We all have a lot of voices. We all have a lot of conflicts. It's all one coil. You are a conduit of oneness. You are a conduit for oneness. You are an ambassador of infinity. You are a channel for the one light of God in this world, the light of Avram, Mitzvah, and Yaakov, because they are the fathers of every single Jew. Every coil of every Jew is ultimately a manifestation of the coil of the obvious. You have to be able to listen to its depth and you'll hear the voice of Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov. They had one coil because they were connected to oneness, to their father in heaven. And all the seven voices in Klal Yisrael with seven different levels in Avodah Hashem, seven branches of the Menorah. If you listen carefully, you'll hear, it's Koyloi Echad. In every Jew's Koyl, there's a Koyl, Koyl Yaakov. The voice is the voice of Yaakov. The hands are the hands of Esav. And Chazal say, when the voice of Yaakov is strong, the hands of Esav could not control, the, could not control and dominate Yaakov. And that's what the Gemara says in Meseches Psochim Dafnon Vav. He brings it in 69, when Yaakov was on his deathbed and he was afraid that maybe one of his children has strayed off the path. And they told him, Shema Yisrael, listen Yisrael. His name was Yisrael. Hashem alekeinu Hashem echad kishem shein belibcho ele echad kachin belibeinu ele echad. Just as in your heart is echad and our heart is echad. What are they telling him? We know that we have so many different sounds, so many different voices. We don't have one tribe. We have 12 tribes. And there were so many differences. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yudi, Yisach, Zmul. Then you had Yosef. Yosef, they wanted to get rid of Yosef. He's not part of us. There's so many different sounds. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Eloikeinu, Hashem Echad, Keshem Shein, Belib, Choelo Echod, Kachin, Belibeinu, Ela Echod. It's one. We're not disconnected from our parents. We're not disconnected from our grandparents. We're not disconnected from our fathers, our mothers, our babas, our sages, all the way back. Hundreds and thousands of years, Tavram Mitzvah Kenyak. If we know in epigenetics, our genes carry all of their experiences. It doesn't only carry the trauma of the past, it carries the faith and the resilience and the mysterious nefesh and the wisdom and the perceptiveness and the kindness and the love and the compassion and the commitment and the loyalty and the dedication and the depth and the truthfulness and the authenticity and the integrity and the purity of every Jew who ever lived. It's all transmitted in you and through you. Every gene of yours carries that coil. Yes, it may be expressed in different ways, but it's koiloi shiva. Kishol chai koiloi echad, kishol meis koiloi shiva. 
That's what Rabbi Yeshua is telling us at the end of Seder Kachim. How you have to view yourself, how you have to view the Jewish people, how you have to be able to look deep into your voice, listen to your voice, listen to the sound coming from you, and you'll see that what you're really searching for and what you're really trying to express is the Koyloi Echad of Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. Now comes the last sif in the Shailah, the Rebbe says, wait. So the shepherd is protecting the sheep. Yes, you may think the sheep is dead, but trust me, the sheep is as alive as it gets. It's just a different type of life. It's continuing the life of the sheep in a different way. The life of Ramitzak and Yaakov, and therefore the shepherd protects it, as Rabbi Yeshua told, to Adrayonus Kaiser, to Adrian, the Roman emperor. But how long is the shepherd going to keep it among 70 wolves? How long does the sheep have to remain so vulnerable? How long is the gull is going to be? So the Mishnah continues, Rabbi Shimon ben Akashi says, Ziknei Talmidei Chachamim, the older they get, the wiser they get, the better they get. That's the end of the Mishnah. It's not like God is just trying to torture Jews and Golos. Chas v'shalom. Ziknei Talmidei Chachamim, wow. Such a powerful word. Every year that the Jews live through history, they become so much wiser, so much deeper, so much more powerful, so much more authentic. You know, we always talk about Yuridas Adairis. You know, the generations go down, and in some ways they go down, but they also go up. The older they get, there's something about the Jewish people today. The Rebbe would always see this and talk about this. Something about the Jewish people today that is so beautiful, so pure, so refined. And if you don't see it, it's because you're Ziknei Ameyaretz. If you're Ziknei Talmidei Chachamim, you see it everywhere. And that's what happened by Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. Maybe the Jews wanted to go out earlier. They said, let's go out without all of the wealth. But Hashem said, no, no, no. I want you to go out with all the wealth. I want you to go out with all the sparks that are in Golas. I want you to go out, as the Navi Yeshaya says, with all the silver and all the gold. I want you to take out all the sparks from the world and from yourself so that the Geula should be complete. And that's why the Golas continues because with each day there's much more experience and much more wisdom. But then the Rebbe says, but now we have already reached the full height. We've reached the full aging, full maturity. L'chol as we have reached ripe old age. We don't have to stay anymore in Golis. We're ready. He says, even if you want to tell me that you need another few seconds in Golis to get more experience and more wisdom, may God forget all of these calculations. Even though Hashem doesn't forget anything. It says, There's no forgetfulness in front of God's throne. He says, that's true, but the whole exile is lower than God's throne. The whole exile is an aberration. Exile is associated with forgetfulness. So when it comes to forgetting exile, it's exactly the right thing to do. And Hashem shouldn't create Nigal and Miyad, an immediate redemption in our own days, in our own times, down here below 10 cubits, through because the old age has been achieved. Jews have been so many years in Golis. We have been through so much. He says, We have reached the The sparks have been elevated and sublimated. And now we are ready for a Geula Shlema. May it be, as he says, an immediate redemption, as the Rambam puts it in Hilchas Tshuva Perig Zayin. I just want to add one little postscript, and that is, I heard this a few years ago from the from the brother of the deceased, 
This this sikhil was said, Chaf of Tavshin Lamad Zayin. Three days earlier, a young woman passed away. Alta Shula Schwartz. Nidaich. She was a daughter of Reb. Of Reb Shalom Yeshaya Daich. Zechreinah Levrocha. From the famous Russian Chabad legendary Daich family. Known for their love and kindness and powerful Jewish hearts. And Alta Shula who was married to uh, Reb Shleimer Schwartz, also known as Schwartzi, Zechariah Levracha. They were Shluchim in California, UCLA. And this was in 1977. Alta Shula was a young woman, a wife, a mother. She had seven orphans. And she died suddenly, I think it was at a wedding, Yud Zayin Av, Tavshin Lamed Zayin, the 17th of Av, 1977. She left seven young babies, young children, and three days later was the Fabrengen Chafav for the Rebbe's father's yard site and the Siyum the Rebbe made on the whole Seder Kachim and Meseches Kinem but as you may have realized the theme is that as the sheep dies the one voice the one sound is transformed into seven this woman Altashula Schwartz Nidaich passed away she left seven children, each one a gem in their own way. I have the privilege of knowing many of her children, some of her grandchildren, well. And indeed, her coil, her voice, her passion, her faith, her mysterious nefesh, her wisdom, her kindness continues, and it continues to grow, like Zikri Talmidei Chachamim, through her loved ones, as is true with all of our loved ones who have passed on, and the voices, the sounds of the original sheep, of Avram Yitzhak of our fathers and mothers, continue through us, and not just continue, they grow. They acquire much more depth, and much more power, and much more potency. A few years later, her sister passed away at a very young age, her name was Rachaleya, Mrs. Rachaleya Shusterman, who was married then to Reb Gershon, so Zangizunt. They were Shluchim in Long Beach, California. She also passed away suddenly. This was in 1986. Alta passed away at Zion, of Tavshin Lamed Zion. Mrs. Shusterman passed away. I think Dalad Nissen Tavshin Memvav, if I'm not mistaken, 1986. Also from the Deitch family. And, uh, so, a few years ago, I was talking to a brother of these two sisters, Rabbi Avram Moshe Daich, Shlitas Ozayin Gezunt, and he told me that Chafav, he was sitting Shiva. He and his brothers, Mosan the Olam Ha'emes, Rabbi Zalman Daich, Zechreinah Levracha, Rabbi Yosef Daich, Zechreinah Levracha, very, very special people. Extraordinary hearts, extraordinary people, Jews, Chassidim, husbands, fathers, grandfathers, very, very special people, very special family. And he told me he was sitting shiva with his siblings for their sister. And people came after the Fabrengen and they shared. I don't know if they heard the hookup in the house, I'm not sure. I don't know if they had the hookups then in the houses. But he said, people shared that the Rebbe just made a whole seal where he articulated this powerful idea 
of the keves, kshoh chayid, is one koil, kshoh meis, koil shiva, applying it to Jewish history, how we all become a continuum of the voices of our parents, of Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, and not only do we do just continue it, but it continues to grow and grow and grow. And that's what allows the sheep to grow and to prosper and gives it the protection of the shepherd until that moment that the Rebbe speaks here at the end of the Sikha, when the sheep has grown old enough and we have acquired all the wisdom and all the depth and all the experience we need. And he says, if there's more to acquire, may God forget about that little extra dosage. Forget about all the calculations because Gullus comes from a place where forgetfulness is, exists. Gullus comes from a place below the throne where there is forgetfulness. And we should experience Nigal and Miyad, an immediate redemption with all of the, our people and with all of the generations and with the entire world. And as he finishes off, Thank you very much. Good night. I would love to learn with you all the footnotes, <laughs> but that would be another few hours, literally. It would be another six, seven hours. And I think the shear was long, <laughs> was long enough. But I would encourage everybody, this is Parshas Tazriya, take the next few days and uh, learn through the Sikha. If you have a chance, learn through the Maramekoyimus, learn through the footnotes, look up the sources. And you'll see much more depth and many more layers that we didn't even get into uh, in the whole discussion and the whole conversation. Um, there's a lot of sugyas that are discussed, especially in the Ha'aris and the Mayra Mekaymas, sugyas in Kachim, sugyas in Avedizara, sugyas in Chata Sa'ayf, Oyla Sa'ayf, Chata Sa'ayf, Abala, Safik. It's, it's very, very Gishmaki sugyas. It would be very worthwhile to... Uh, to learn through it, and a lot of other things that get discussed in the footnotes. We also see here a certain approach. This was the approach of the Rebbe to learning. We get a little bit, a little taste of his Derech HaLimud. First of all, how there's nothing that just says in the Mishnah because it says. It says in the Mishnah because it's part of the theme. Also, a very big focus on really getting down to the core of every Indian, Not just discussing a detail or a nuance, not even dissecting a certain aspect, but really getting down to the core, and not just to the halachic core, but also to the spiritual core. We also see the interconnectedness between the whole Torah. I just want to add, I don't know that anybody knows for sure why the Rebbe gave the Siyum, and if the Siyum was connected to the event I spoke about. It was just something that people felt and they speculated about and they shared it. So I just felt it would be appropriate to give it over. But somebody asks me if I have a source connecting it. I don't know. I can't say that this is the reason. The Rebbe didn't explain why he's giving this seum. He explained the reason he's giving this seum because he was talking about Karbonus and Parad, whatever. It's a whole sikha. But in terms of was it connected to this event, it's very hard for me to know. I'm certainly not in the position to be able to answer that. But it was certainly quite uh, moving and fascinating and certainly very comforting on some level during such a tragedy to be able to hear this message from the Rebbe at the time. So I just felt it was appropriate to share. And also, one of the children of Alta Shula is an old friend of mine. We grew up together as a classmate of mine. And years ago, he said, you know, this sikha that the Rebbe said in the middle of the shiva for his mother, he was five years old at the time. 
But he said, the sicha is a very, very complex and nuanced sicha. And he hopes one day that I should learn and teach the sicha in a thorough way so he should be able to really appreciate it. So that's what we did tonight. And I felt it was just appropriate to add this last postscript about the time that the Rebbe said uh, this uh, sicha. Somebody sent me a photo a few years ago of uh, there was a store on Kingston Avenue it was called Essen Bench. <laughs> Today, I think Mendy's is there. There's a store, Mendy's. Kingston, right across from 7 It's called Essen Bench. Essen Bench. It was like a, a deli. You know, you buy hot dogs and mustard. And uh, somebody sent me a picture in the middle of the night. My father, Olava Shalom, standing in front of Essen Bench, sipping a drink or somebody else near him is sipping a drink. And he's talking to some people. And it's just a beautiful picture. And I didn't know when it was taken. My brother told me that it was taken after this Fabrengen. Chaf of Tavshan Lamed Zayin, 20th of 77. It looks like uh, I think it was taken around, you know, 1 or 2 or 2.30 in the morning. It was a long Fabrengen. So after the Fabrengen, people would go out and buy a drink and schmooze. The streets were was full. The streets were full with people. So it's a picture of my father at the end of this Fabrengen. And it was very moving because, like, you know, it's like part of history, like... It's just a picture of my father standing on Kingston Avenue with some people. It's a very beautiful, very nice shot. I'll ask my person to put it up here on the video so you'll see it. But it happens to be after this Fabrengen. And it's just moving because this was a really, it was a beautiful Fabrengen. The Rebbe spoke about a lot of amazing topics. This Sikha was a Sikha that was, I think, 124 minutes, which was a very long Sikha. I think it was around 120. It was a very, very long Sikha. It was, uh, yeah, I think more than two hours. I think so. I have to check it up. But it was a very long sicha, extremely long. The Siyam on Kinnim. It was the, the Rebbe said that. And then he continued it, Parshas Eik of Parshas Re'e. It was a very, very long sicha. Um, it was a Hadron on Kachim, so a Siyam on Kachim. The Rebbe was making for his father's yard site. So yeah, this was just one sikha from that fabreng, and it was a fabreng and rich with a lot of discussions and a lot of sugis and halacha and and gemara and and parshas hashavua and nigla and nister and rambam and shas and poskim and different contemporary elements in Jewish life. But this was one of the crown jewels of that fabreng in the siyum amasech kinem in lekutei sikhas parshas tazriya. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.